This is a trigger warning for today's episode, which covers sexual abuse, child sex abuse, and predatory behavior. Listener discretion is advised. time I bring up my favorite movie or song, y'all call my shit corny. You act like I don't have no taste and no flavor. I'm a Luddite or some bullshit like that. What kind of particular shit is that? It's the shit I like. That's what I like. That's my type of shit. You know, don't you know y'all just say something nice? Showtime. Welcome to the Say Something Nice podcast. Film, TV, and music news, discussions, and reviews from a multicultural point of view. In addition to our Say Something Nice challenge, in which we challenge each other to say something nice about the best and worst in pop culture. Be sure to check us out at SSNpodcast.com and on all social media under the handle at SSNpodcast. Our show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, TuneIn, and wherever else great podcasts can be found. Please rate us five stars on iTunes and Stitcher so that more people can find our show. Thanks, and here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Say Something Nice podcast. It's so good for y'all to, um, to hear y'all again or for y'all to hear us because I can't hear y'all because y'all are listening on downloads and stuff. It is Sunday, January the 6th, 2019. Happy freaking New Year. My goodness gracious. And I am here with a whole bunch of wonderful people. I am here with Ken. Hi. Jameson. Yep. April. I'm back. Greg. Hello. And over here in my house, acting a fool, Ali. Super black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> About the lightest nigga on this car right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this episode. As you download this, you probably know this episode is going to focus a whole bunch on the documentary series, surviving documentary miniseries, Surviving R. Kelly, because it'll probably be in the title in some form or fashion. But so therefore, this one will be a little bit different, like as far as the news goes for us, because I had to cut out most of like the news stuff just to be able to make sure we had enough room to talk about the whole R. Kelly thing. So we'll be doing like a a little bit of light stuff. We'll pick up more worse stuff next week. Of course, the Golden Globes are tonight. I have no idea how they're going to go. I'm not particularly here for Andy Samberg hosting the Golden Globes. Sandra Oku, Andy Samberg. Why? I don't know. He just... Andy Samberg kind of grates on me. Like, I don't know. Has he done some... He hasn't done anything wrong. It's just, he's not my cup of tea. You know what? At this this point... And, and this is probably going to sound bad, but at this point, any white person that ain't acting racist or dumb, I'm cool with. <laughs> See, Greg, Greg is fed up, uh, and so are the rest of us. I mean, the bar is really that low. Yeah, I mean, I so the world yeah. is the world is kind of low key in peril for if anybody listening to this in like the future when hopefully we've solved everything. Like, the world's kind of going to hell in the handbasket. We're just trying to like float along. <laughs> That's about, that's about right. That's about right. I mean, 
Like, um, so we're just, but yeah, I, I fully get that. But yeah, let's talk about the things that we saw over the Christmas break. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give her, because we sort of kind of made a list ahead of time and we'll go through it one at a time. So first we'll talk about Black Box on uh, Netflix starring um, Sandra Bullock. You mean Bird it's Box? It's Bird Box, right? Bird Box. Oh, Bird, Bird Box, Black Box. Wow, Black Box, wow. No, the joke... You know, everybody, everybody. The funny, th- yeah, the funny thing is that, so it stars Sandra Bullock and um, Trevante Rhodes, right? <laughs> yeah, so I didn't I didn't see this, so y'all tell me what y'all thought of it. I thought it was it was a really good movie for Netflix. Yeah. Um I mean I wouldn't have been oh. mad if I saw it in the theaters. That's shady, but, Ken. That's shady. What? Uh, uh, yeah, let me finish. It was like I wouldn't be mad if I saw it in the theaters, but I'm glad I watched it on Netflix. Um I mean it, it's more it's more of a I mean it's a little horror, more suspense and thrilling. Yeah, um, definitely a thriller movie. And I, you know, I enjoyed it for what I enjoyed it for what it was. I don't know how many times I rewatch it. Um, I thought the actors were great, especially what's the woman from um, American Horror Story? Even though she was only in that short, oh, she did her work. Um, yeah, she did do good work in there. Yeah. I don't Is know. Sarah Paulson. Yeah, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Paulson. Yeah, she was only in there for a quick minute. Mm. Um, Literally a minute. Yeah. So, but she was excellent. Trevante, he, some people said his acting wasn't that great. Um, he admits his acting isn't great, though. But, I mean, he did his job, and I don't think the director really was able to probably pull out his strength for where he is. Um, so that might be a thing. But Sandra Bullock chose him to be in the film. So, okay. mm, so um, she did. And I'm just happy the man's working. And um, I'm also upset that people were like didn't know who he was. It was like, thank Bird Box for introducing us to Javante Rose. I saw oh, that so wow. many times. So that means a lot of people haven't seen. That um, means people is uh, homophobic like, as fuck because they ain't I, seen I, I was just about to say, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's some whole low key homophobia. The right Academy there. Award winner for 2017. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, they really being stupid right there. <laughs> wow. That's messed but uh, my favorite response, like, uh, uh, outside, we'll talk about, I'm sure we'll talk about the memes in a minute. But because um, black people did the most with these days. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah, they really did. It was like, it was Christmas vacation. People didn't have nothing better to do. Nothing. Than, like, watch, oh, this movie on Netflix. It's like, it came out that Friday. By that Sunday or that Monday, all you saw was Bird Box my, memes. Yeah, all my hands. But Missy Elliott said, you know, she loved uh, uh, Tom in the movie. Uh, you know, because Tom, for the whole five years, he stayed fresh. With his haircut, nice little edge and everything. Wow. Yeah, let's Probably. talk about that for real, though. I thought <laughs> he'd have a beard like, and everything. I thought he would be look kind of rough, but nope. Somebody mm-hmm. was giving him an edge up and everything. It was wow. Yeah, it was right. a lot of, it, it was all right, man. Like it wasn't worth all the hype. Like all the mar- I'll say it wasn't. Their marketing, their uh, social media marketing was was beastly. Because I'm sure they had a whole team of people. With memes like ready to go, ready to press send as soon as that mm-hmm. that movie dropped. Because I swear the movie came out what on like midnight on Christmas or something like that, and it was already like memes all over the place. So you got that going for it. But the movie itself, it was cool. I wasn't like pissed off. I watched it. It was long as hell, but mm-hmm. I just felt like it wasn't. How long is it? It's like two and a half hours. Yeah, it's long. Oh Jesus! It's long, dog. I didn't. And, and it was a lot of. It was just a lot of. Uh, that's long for a horror movie. Yeah, that's real long. Like right. I feel like. It, and here's the thing: it's two and a half hours, and you don't get any kind of like closure or understanding of what exactly was going on. Mm. And I yeah, think, they did. The ending really kind of like. 
Yeah, I, I think that's what we're trying to go and, for. And, and I want to, I kind of want to, Nick can go first. I kind of want to spoil the well from the book. I heard what the ending was in the book. Would you guys take my headphones off and you go ahead and tell them what the ending was in the book and contrast it versus what they did in the movie? In the movie. Okay. So, so in the ending, you know how they went to the the school for the blind mm-hmm. at the end, right? In the book, the people actually blinded themselves in that community. And oh. I think that would have been the better that ending. That would have been way better. Oh, yeah, themselves. that would have been way better ending. Okay. To, me, thought, that, to me, that ending makes so much more sense. Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. I don't mind, like, the happier, like, that trying to make things a slightly happier and more hopeful after, li- like, living through, set, like, such a dystopian time. Mm-hmm. But it, it does make more sense. And then I was thinking, why didn't people intentionally blind themselves already? That is true. Like... Why was that never like an option? Like it's already a horror film. Because people's because people value their eyesight more than anything. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Like plus, a lot of times when you ask mind, somebody, you're gonna think that it, uh, eventually it's gonna end, or like mm-hmm. it might like end at some point. So you don't want to, you know, blind yourself, and then tomorrow it's all over yeah. and you're blind and shit. People, people yeah. put way too much store behind the eyesight. So it's yeah that that would not have been a that would have been an option. But trust me, people aren't gonna. Um, Use shoes as the first thing to do. No, they so yo, so yeah, else. y'all already read the book. Like, does it do that? Explain what the fuck it is. Oh, I didn't. I didn't read the book. I was oh. like, I was watching like these uh, YouTube clips explaining the movie. Okay, okay. okay. Um, because I, it, they really didn't do a, huh? Mm. They didn't do a good job explaining. Like, they, it was just one quick line about the creatures. Yeah, they didn't do a good job of it, like we like. Oh, if you see them, that's what happens. Like. They just say that once really quickly, and I didn't really quite catch it at first. And it, but they don't do a good job of explaining it. Yeah. The other thing is too is like people, the people who are hyping this movie up seem to have completely forgotten um, M Night Shyamalan's The Happening. Yeah, that's, that's all it was. Essentially, the same it's, thing. Yeah, it's the happening. If the happening wasn't trash. Or for me, if A Quiet Place didn't come out this year, then this movie would have been better. Yeah, yeah well, I've never seen A Quiet Place yet, but I heard it was pretty cool. Yeah. Right. A Quiet Place did this same kind of theme much better, had a better resolution. It gave you the creature that was haunting mm-hmm. them. Okay. And so, yeah, we mm-hmm. needed this first before A Quiet Place. Mm-hmm. It wasn't A Quiet Place in the Woods, too? Right. Oh, man. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it just, it just I don't know, man. Cool. So you have the, the, hap- <laughs> the happening was basically spores from yeah. trees. This the 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 quiet places. You need to be qui- you need to be quiet sound, and then you have bl- bird boxes sight. So I guess someone's gonna come up. So with So wait a minute, smell? spores from trees? Yeah, it was spores from trees. The happening. What kind of spores? I don't know. It wasn't spurs. Spores really though. It was. I thought it was just. <laughs> well, I guess it kind of was. No, it was. I, it was I'm laughing, trees. Jameson, because you said you almost said sperm. <laughs> And that's I know, what I was, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like spores from trees, so the trees are just nutting on people. To kill yeah, them. that's exactly what was happening. That's like, kind of what was happening. I mean, yeah, that's exactly it was just happening. like, I mean, it's basically we. It's like pollen in Atlanta. <laughs> Pretty oh, much man. every spring. Yeah, that's what was happening, and I was just like, really, that's it. That's the big mystery thing but yeah it's yeah. essentially that that's what it is um but i saw <laughs> the, like i saw bird box with um with a group of people i saw it my family and it was it was more fun to see their reactions than yeah. than you know just watching it by myself so i appreciated that experience um we were it was an interesting way to tell a story like you know to uh, mm-hmm. instead, of, instead of just um linear it was in flashbacks 
Yeah. So how yeah. did you feel about about uh, Sandra's uh, speech to those kids at the beginning? Like, oh yeah, I don't know. I, I said she was like talking to them like a black mama when you about to go in the store. <laughs> Listen, I know. Yeah, you better now, not hold touch up. Okay. nothing. You, we gonna go in here. You better not touch nothing. You ain't getting nothing. You, and you, <laughs> you better not ask for nothing. Right. You definitely ain't getting no candy. And then when she ask. and when old girl got out the boat, when she told her not to, and she oh dragged her ass, she she <laughs> grabbed. Like, didn't I tell you? She grabbed that. Baby. What did I tell you? What's our truth? She might as well had a teeth clenched. But I was so mad awesome. at this when they said, "Wait, like it was this line wasn't supposed to be funny, but it was." When Shavante was like. God damn it, the kids don't even have names. We call them boy and girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was super corny, man. They but I'm, I'm, but I'm mad that... I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know where she's from. Because she... <laughs> I thought when I, it, this, I thought though. boy and girl were just like, you know, something that she just like... A, but then the fact that she actually called him boy and girl... <laughs> she was, how's that gonna work? Like when you give them names, when they when you, when the kids are already able to talk and shit and know their names of boy and girl, it's gonna be real hard for them to be not calling each other boy and girl when you decide. Uh, she's from Virginia, Agatha and shit. South. I figured she was probably. <laughs> I would have guessed that. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, right. one thing about Sandra Bullock in that joint, man, she she got stopped with the plastic surgery, man. It's, she went too far. Like, oh, 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 I didn't even know. Oh, yeah. You didn't see her nose when her nostrils is bigger than the other one. Oh, wow. <laughs> it looked ah, bad, shit. dog. Lord Jesus. I did not oh, notice that. I don't know. Ooh, yeah, I didn't notice it. I mean, I don't, I mean, I I just thought she looked weak. Like, I don't know. White women and they nose is just no. They go left sometimes. Yeah. Right. I didn't mean anything by that. Um <laughs> Right, we're <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, black box bandus uh, bandus box. No, black mirror bandersnatch. Oh. <laughs> so this was a one shot special in the Black Mirror series. They put up on was it on Christmas Day? Yeah, no, yeah. it was a few days after. Okay, okay. It was and like that Friday. It was basically like a choose your own adventure sort of a deal where you could choose your own ending to the uh, to the special. Mm-hmm. So kind of like a Goosebumps book. Yeah. Um, so, like, so Ken, you and Ali both saw it? No, I did not. Okay. Uh, Ken, Ken saw, saw it. April, it. April saw it. Mm-hmm. So, tell us what y'all thought and what endings y'all got. <laughs> um, I thought it was pretty much your, your general, like, Black Mirror type of thing where it talks about, uh, God, what was the theme of it we were talking about? Like, how... Basically, the high idea that, you know, in life, you really don't... It's the, what what they say in The Matrix... That choice is a, an illusion, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like the char- the character is it's kind of meta because the character in the show in the uh, actual movie is kind of like I feel like I'm being controlled and I don't have like you know I'm not really making my own choices. Somebody's controlling me, blah blah blah. blah. Then it's like you know the idea of um the, I don't know free ex- will, not, huh? Free will, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so and it was kind of exploring that while this guy was trying to make. A choose your own his venture video game based on a book by a guy who killed himself. Um, so might I enjoyed it for what it was. I didn't think it, it was spectacular. I like I think the concept was greater than the actual execution, but it was still good because it's Black Mirror. Um, what's the guy? Charlie um, uh, Booker. Charlie Booker. Like I, you know, he always does a good job with stuff. Um, the endings I got, I got a few. Different ones because it tell, told me to kept going. Go, it's like sometimes they'll tell you, You want to go back because you done fucked up now. 
That I mean, that was pretty much it. Like some, because I've got one where all of them there, like they were all bleak endings. Um, my favorite part though was when I went back one time, and it was like he was telling like his psychiatrist that, um, you know, I think that like, well, I done this thing where basically you can tell them, yes, you're you're a show on Netflix, and I'm making your decisions for you. Mm. So they go, they go that deep in that meta, and he's telling his psychiatrist that, and he was like, "Well, if somebody was watching this right now, wouldn't they want more action to happen right now?" And your choices were yes or hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to say what happened, but that was awesome. But um, some of them he dies, and some of them he ends up killing somebody and going to jail forever, and some of them he's just a failure. But those types of endings. So um, I don't, but I'm rambling, so I'll let April speak on the rest of it. Yeah, uh, I'm going to jump in. You you kind of covered it. I thought the concept was unique in kind of the doing the interactive choose your own story. Uh, but for Black Mirror, I thought the story was kind of weak. Mm-hmm. Um, what I did is I tried to manipulate it. So I picked all the answers on the right my first time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took me, I think, through the longest uh, script. Uh, so I got a lot of the dark kind of responses with regard to his coworker. Uh, what happens to a family member. Uh, and then it took me back to rechange all of my options. And that's where you got some of those, uh, like you said, some of those meta responses and going mm. back and choosing Netflix and those type of things. Uh, you know, it, it, it was dark like most Black Mirror episodes. Uh, so that was fine. Uh, but I wanted a little bit more from the story. Uh, with mm-hmm. this interactive component, it was so unique and so creative. Um, I, I just wanted a little bit more. Um, but I think this was a good beginning for some of this platform. Uh, <laughs> I'm we'll sorry. see where it goes. You know what's funny, though, to me? Because hmm. the, the review you just gave it is the review that one guy gave the game in the show. On, right. On the, on the movie. <laughs> I didn't this, think of that. Oh, my gosh. This, this thing is so meta. <laughs> It got um, me. Uh, right. But um, yeah, it, I'm glad there's going to be a full season five. And this is the yes. only thing because they said they worked on this for a year. Um, so they pro- they still need to probably get some story tell- some storytelling kinks out and stuff, you know, to make it further. And it probably would take more than a year to really produce something like this, you know. Yeah, that someone was, posted a top 20 like episodes of Black Mirror, like a rankings, and they put mm-hmm. this in the top 10 and I don't agree. Wow. Yeah. No. It's pretty telling. Mm-mm. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure. I don't know. What, what would you? What do you think is your favorite episode of Black Mirror? By the way, April. Oh, I said I need to go back and watch, uh, and I'm starting to based on this ranking. Mm. Um, I know my favorite one. What's I don't that? know the the finale of season two or season three. Uh, with what was it called? The one with the girl from uh, Black Panther. Okay, I have not seen that one for some reason. Oh, yeah. you know, I, I'm writing. Let's a right. Yes, I'm yeah. writing a book chapter on that episode, Black Music. Really? Yeah. Uh, Black Music, um, that's dope. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It, it, it's in my top five for sure. And I love yeah. that episode so much. Uh, yeah. When doing wow. the research on my book chapter, yeah. uh, a lot of people hated that episode. For real? Or wow, just really? didn't get it. And so, wow, that's yeah, really yeah, that's it's really crazy. unfortunate. But one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, me too. Hmm. I'll say that one, uh, the. Uh, the one, it was one that creeps up for me. I'm real bad with the titles. I had to look at them. But the one when they were, uh, they were dating, they were doing like online dating in the future. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and they, uh, they end up like the people, the first, well, how did it end? They, they end up being together. But yeah, then when it ends, 
is basically like it all ends up. I'm not doing a good job describing. I know project. what you're talking about, uh, Jameson. Yeah, I'm talking you're talking, about- uh, yeah. So it's basically what you see at first in the in the what when you get to the end of the climax or the the revelation is that what you've been watching are basically it's basically a culmination of a bunch of different simulations of those two people coming together. Yeah, that and was in the it. end, what you've been watching is how is the algorithm going through the yep. motions of choosing your your true your um your perfect partner and so then mm. at the end it shows you and this is how you choose your perfect partner because in the end you get back to the real world and you see that guy chooses that girl at that bar at this time mm-hmm. yeah huh. yeah it was it was real i thought it was, I, I thought it was pretty interesting yeah, yeah we're That's, on the same page that would be my top 5 too along with crocodile and yeah a few others. i feel like i've missed a bunch of episodes somewhere now i don't remember uh, crocodile. Which one was crocodile? Uh, crocodile was the one. Um, I'm trying. Oh, to when not... she got access to memories, when she was uh, when she had uh, some kind of device. No, that's she... not crocodile. I don't think that's crocodile. That's not crocodile. No, uh, I'm actually uh, talking about too. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to say it without spoiling the ending. The crocodile is the one <laughs> where they killed somebody. Yeah, uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they they made the pact never to tell yeah. anybody about it, and the person felt guilty. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. My my favorite episode has to be one about the rating system. Yeah, and that's nosedive. Yes, nosedive. Yeah, nosedive. Yeah, that's what my yeah, I rewatched that one yesterday. Yep. That was actually randomly the first one I ever watched. Word. Yeah. So, and I was just like, I was hooked on Black Mirror after that because I work in like digital marketing. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff is stuff I do and I understand mm-hmm. and I kind of you know. And I'm like, whoa, this is a little too close to home. Did y'all like San um, San Junipero? San Junipero. San Junipero. Yeah. Yeah. I like that I one. To, I, I need to rewatch it. Yeah. It didn't like, touch me as much as it touched everybody else. Yeah. I think people just liked it because it was actually happy for once. Probably. That is true. Yeah. But I th- I thought it was good, and I do like ha- like having some episodes that are a little happier. Yeah. But yeah. I you know I didn't think it was the best, but I think it was more is it, it has a novelty to it that makes it stick out. Oh, you know, we missed, we missed, well, forgot about two is uh, 15 million merits. Yeah. Actually, that's in my top five, too. Mm. I like that one a lot. Okay. Um, so, of course, this was the Christmas New Year's break. So mm. they showed a whole bunch of holiday specials. I actually only watched two. Mm. And they're mm. the two that I used to watch when I was a kid. And they aren't good, but it's knowing those things <laughs> that we watched two things because you grew up with it. So they I watched them both on Boomerang because it used to come on the Cartoon Network. It was a Flintstone Christmas mm-hmm. where Fred becomes Santa Claus and Byron becomes an elf and they had to deliver the toys because Santa Claus um, caught a cold, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you Isn't know, it funny? The whole thing about the Flintstones are supposed to be prehistoric, right? Why do they have Christmas? Yes. You know? But <laughs> Right. I mean, Jesus wasn't even born yet. So. Right. So, was they actually were there? Were there reindeer? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, in the in the special world, I'm sure reindeer. I don't know what. Listen, they have dinosaurs and shit. They they talk. <laughs> they just do what they fucking they want to do with the they stuff. Doing what they want anyway. Oh, um, and right. <laughs> that and another Hanna Barbera special, a Christmas story. Not Ralphie, shoot your eye out, but it's about a dog and a mouse who try to get the little boy who lives in their house off his letter to Santa that goes left behind. It's really mm-hmm. corny and really goofy, but you know, just some things you like when you're a kid. I watched those. Oh, because also, because I was just going through stuff on Boomerang and mm. um, I saw. 
I don't know if any of y'all ever saw this when y'all were younger. So it's Johnny's Golden Quest. It was a USA original movie from 1993 mm-hmm. or two. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to say three. Um, basically, it was like a you know a Johnny Quest TV movie that sort of kind of wow. went into, I mean, to spoil the first act, Dr. Zen kidnaps his mom and kills his mom. And he blames his dad for it and it sort of kind of causes a riff in the whole Team Quest um, thing. It's actually a, for a Hanna-Barbera movie, it's actually very well written. You know, it does look a mess because it is a Hanna-Barbera movie, but it's actually pretty well written. It's probably the best Giant Quest movie to ever write because I know um, the racist white man, what's his name? Um, who talked about um, the... Um, What's about the vaccines or like like being and being an anti vaccine is like being um, a nigger to people. Hmm. Terry Gilliam, I think his name is. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Why like does that he, name sound familiar. But he he's right. Um, he wrote Aladdin. And he wrote Shrek. Um, I'm gonna look it up right quick. But yeah, he's writing a Johnny Quest live action movie. Saints preserve was it, us. Wasn't Terry Gilliam and stepdad or some shit? I think Terry Gilliam might be a different person. I think I had their name wrong. I gotta look up the name right quick. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah. So I watched those. What did y'all watch for as far as Christmas type stuff? Um, so I finally realized uh John, is it John Musker? John Musker and Ron Clemens. Yeah. Uh anyway, I realized I just um I had never seen uh Friday After Next before. Right. Oh, you're talking, you're talking, the, talking about the guy I was, I was thinking of? No, it's not John Musker and Ron Clements. It is... I'm going to pull it right now because I got Shrek pulled up. Ter, Terry Rossio is what I was thinking of. Not Terry Gilliam. Okay. Terry Gilliam's the director. I, Terry Rossio. Okay. Okay. But yeah, um, I reali- I didn't never realize I had never seen Friday After Next. Say like, it again! I, Say it again! <laughs> it, which is weird. It's like one of those movies that you've heard about so much. Like you, you know lines from people. You make memes. People talk about it. They make the jokes. You know, blah 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 blah. That you think you've seen it, but you know, while we were getting ready for Christmas, you know, dinner and everything, I just put on different Christmas movies, and I was like, well, let's watch this. And the more I watched, I'm like, oh, I've never seen this at all. Mm. And it, but it was entertaining for what it was. I mean, it was still it was very, squarely of its time, of course. Um. I'm still, I'm, you know, I still wouldn't mind a last Friday, but you can tell that DJ Pooh was a strong contributor to Friday the first movie. Like, and uh, whatchamacallit, what's his name? Um, Smokey. Who's played Smokey? Chris. Uh, Chris, 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 Tucker. Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. Like, you can tell, like, even though uh, I like Omar, uh, not Omar Epps, um, what's his name? Something Epps. Mike Epps, Mike Epps. Mike Epps. I am so bad with names today. Um, even though I like Mike Epps, you can tell that Chris T- uh, Tucker and G.J. Poop really brought a lot to that first Friday film. Not that the first Friday film was, was perfect, uh, you know, or the greatest movie, but it hit a, the right amount of notes without seeming like it was going into being like almost a, a farce of the, of the things that it was celebrating. As much as kind of like Friday, uh, next Friday and Friday after next kind of did a little bit, even though I did like the community aspects of those films. Um, I feel like when I watched, because I I've seen all three of them, mm-hmm. and for some reason I cannot different. Like it's been so long that all of them just come in. It's just one big soup to me. 
So I won't, if you put it on, I won't know which one I'm watching. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, really? It's Friday. It's like Friday is like. Friday's the so good soup. Better. Friday yeah, after next is like the leftover soup from yesterday. Mm-hmm. And um and, and next Friday as well. It's like, it's like you can tell the difference. Like <laughs> well, next next Friday was I, it wasn't even soup. That's like the old it's what, like how it, Yeah, it's like raw fish that you just have sitting around and it's you like throw goat, it in the it's like know, goat water. <laughs> goat water. <laughs> what? That's what island goat? ass shit, boy. Some goat, goat water. <laughs> goat water. Go turtle somebody. <laughs> All right. Up, boy. Any other specials? Anybody watch any of that Charlie Brown stuff? I, I I've yep. seen it too many times, so I don't watch it no more. That's one of my. Uh, I love Charlie Brown Christmas. I watch that every year. Uh, Charlie oh. Brown Christmas. Um, Christmas Story. You know, you always. You know, of course, you, you watch. Yeah, it's your child, kid. Word. Well, not something I watched, but something I heard. I guess does that count as That's well? Fine. Cool. Um, John Legend's Christmas album is completely dope. Okay. It's really, really well done. I'm one of the few people that was very angry at John Legend's first record mm-hmm. because the recording quality wasn't really done well for his talent or what mm-hmm. I felt his talent was indicative of. And... This Christmas album is very well produced, very well recorded. Um, Raphael Sadiq is the producer. Oh, um, and it's just damn good. I got to check it out then. You said Raphael Sadiq, so I'm like, well, damn it. I know it's good. It's front to back. It's, it's, it, it sounds like a million dollars. That's good. It's, it, it sounds like it had a budget and they followed that shit and somebody got paid. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> So I was like, it sounds really, days, bro. <laughs> it's very rare these days. It really is. Um, and uh, I got that. And I actually, I went back and got an old copy of James Brown's, I guess, his second Christmas album. Mm-hmm. The one with uh, Santa, Santa Claus, Claus Go Straight, straight to, to the Ghetto. ghetto. <laughs> and Because I wanted to hear, like, you know, at the time, what was going on with his... Christmas album. Then it was weird because he actually had a version of uh, "Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud" in the middle of the damn Christmas album. Hilarious. Sounds about right. Christmas albums yeah. back then are kind of dodgy. All of them. You, yeah. It, usually the, the they had like one single, a B side, and they record like ten crappy ass covers of a lot of Christmas <laughs> albums. The only good Christmas album from back then is the Jacksons, and even there's oh, yeah, the I same formula. They just do it well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Jackson, Jackson's a good one. That's yeah. probably my favorite Christmas album. Yeah, so Jameson, you are now currently watching or may have finished uh, season one of the Chili Adventures of Sabrina. I surely did. I finished, uh, we watched the finale yesterday. Okay. Yeah. So now you, I'm, I'm assuming as a person who lives in America, you are familiar mm-hmm. with Sabrina the Teenage Witch in some form or fashion. Yes, I remember the one with uh, Clarissa Hart. Yeah, Melissa Joan Hart, who played Carissa, yeah. Ah. <laughs> but yeah, so before before I, 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 I think I sort of kind of handed it in the post, but so uh-huh. this series is based on some more recent comics by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, who also executive produced and wrote much of this series. Okay. Where they went more hardcore into like, you know, like the darker side of, you know. Yeah, dog, I, I definitely peeped that because... um. <laughs> 
the 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 show, you know, the only rep, uh, uh, the only reference to Sabrina I knew was the you know the ABC show with Melissa Joan Hart and all. Yeah. So you know, when I'm watching this one, I, I'm just I remember I actually started watching it because of you guys talking about how good it was. So I'm like, all right. Oh yeah, we you really know. enjoyed it. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'll check it out. You know what I'm saying? So off the rip, like you know, they're getting right into the 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 darkness and the was it the um. What they call the, the, the I mean they're talking to Satan. Praise Satan. Satan. And, Praise Satan. And 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 the motherfucker shows up in episode three. Yeah, like <laughs> episode, I wasn't prepared for that, man. I'm like, yo, this Brandon, is pretty creepy, dog. Brandon had this whole thing, had me each had me in stitches talking about that damn clothed hoof. Yes. That shows so, up. Man, in man. the comic, if they had adapted the comic word for word, he would have showed up yeah. in episode two. So he did, and I was yeah. like, oh, so they ain't gonna put Satan in the show. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then he showed up in episode three. I was like, oh fuck, and then oh, <laughs> uh, the teacher bit down and she kissed the damn hoof. Yeah, <laughs> I was man. through. I was so through. Like, yo, I mean, like, <laughs> she said, let me bend down and kiss your beautiful feet. I'm like, what did you know you kiss the hoof? Like, bitch, where? <laughs> I was like, listen, okay. Like, Shout out to Michelle Gomez, too. I'm sure when she came to work that day, they gave her the sides they were going to film. She said, I'm doing what today? Oh, Lord. Oh, let me say a prayer. She's a Like, she by day. It's funny, dog. A- I'm, I'm surprised the, uh, the conspiracy loonies ain't hopped all over this series. They already have. It's just, it's been, okay, it's, okay. it was October, November. Yeah. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I missed all the hype then. I watched that issue, Man, and they were dropping so much subtle, it was so much subtle stuff, like, if you know about, like, any, like, I don't know, I don't want to say history of uh, Satan worship, but like alleged stuff in that regard. Like they, I, I think he oh, dropped like, yeah. Alice, like, Alice Crawley. They dropped the Alice Crawley name fall. drop. Yeah, people that was pretty fall. pretty slick. Yeah. yeah, and um, man, dog, I, I really liked it, man. I liked all the act, all the actors in it. All the players are really good. The dude that plays the high priest, he's really good. Um, Sabrina was pretty annoying, but I'm assuming she's, she's supposed, supposed to be. be. Yeah, she's supposed to be annoying, but she has to learn her way. So yeah. I get it. You know yeah. What I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, she, she does not understand she it. Like, I mean, royally, and they really, <laughs> they really do a good job of like showing you, like why it's a bad idea for mortals and, and witches to to in a, in, you know to mess around with each other because, yeah. you know, what I'm saying you see how, how easy you know it could, everything could get, get, get the blow, lines could get blurred. Yeah, everything went left real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, Ali, you saw the final season, or at least part of a yeah. final season of a series of unfortunate events on Netflix? Yeah, so I I watched the first season and uh, when it came out in 2017. But I, for some reason, I missed season two. And then I was on Netflix recently and I saw that they dropped season three. And I was like, oh shit, I need to catch up. So um, yeah, I went ahead and watched it. So um, Is Ali think- able to get closer to the mic? He sounds oh. far away. Yeah, you can't really hear you. Hold on. All right, can you hear me now? Am, am I yeah, better? Let's closer. Uh, I'm like right up wait, on wait, it. Wait, I'll, I'll, I'll adjust him up. Oh, okay. Hello, okay. hello. Testing. One, two, one, two, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Is, Is that, that better? better? Not really. He's still okay. so far <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. Brandon. Oh, I know. Brandon, this thing was stuck to the mic. The, um, what do you call that thing? Hold on. Yeah. All right. All right, let's try now. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Hold on. Any better? How about now? One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Yeah, that's three, a little four. better. Okay. All okay. Right. Sorry about that, guys. 
There, right. There's some bass in your voice now. That works. <laughs> All right. So, so yeah. So, like I was saying, um, I didn't realize that seasons two and three had dropped. So, when I saw it, I tried to catch up as much as possible. And it wasn't that difficult uh, because this whole series <laughs> is hilarious. Like, it from the very start to the very end, it is, it is just too funny. I know it's called a series of unfortunate events, but the unfortunate events are ridiculous. And this series seldom ever has a happy ending. Every season finale is always very bittersweet. But the way the story is crafted by the the author of the books, whose um his code name is Lemony Snicket, mm-hmm. he he crafts it in such a way that it's actually funny to watch the entire like. All the craziness just go down. So basically, for those who don't know, this is unfortunate events. Um, follows the story of the three orphaned Baudelaire. The Baudelaire's. Children. Yeah, and basically they are they are trying to solve the mystery of the 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 um, very mysterious um, burning down of their home and the supposed um, murder of their parents that left them orphan. And they, you know, eventually they, they, they find, it's not a spoiler, everybody should know at least the first part, which is they find out that there's a conspiracy to orphan them because their parents have a very large fortune. And whoever, when the children, when the oldest child comes of age, the fortune goes to them and then it would by extension go to whomever has adopted them, pretty much. And we find out that the person partially behind all this is um, a character called Olaf, you know, who's basically... Yeah. He's basically the villain throughout the entire series. Um, he's... <laughs> He is a quote-unquote, and I use this term very loosely, a quote-unquote master of disguise. Um, because every episode of this show is basically him basically putting on a very terrible disguise, which usually involves a wig, a whole wardrobe change or whatever, to become somebody else, to trick the to trick the um some people into giving him the children to um, to adopt and the thing about the entire series is that all most of the of the adults in the series who have been charged to be responsible for these kids are completely oblivious to everything that's going on the kids will will shout and bring evidence to the fact that this is con olaf he's not such and such or but no one will believe them and it just keeps on being this 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 downward spiral of unfortunate events and with 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 very um with a, a couple of like uh, um, moments of levity in between as they have the kids have small victories all throughout the series but it's it's extremely funny and the person who plays Count Olaf is um Neil Patrick Harris I don't know if mm-hmm. you guys know him from How I Met Your Mother Doogie but, Howser dog yes Yes, uh, for us, oh, yeah, uh, that's uh, right. for all people, we yeah. know Doogie Howser. Yeah, but yeah, he he acts his ass off in this. He's well, you know, we all know Neil Patrick Harris is gay. Well, right? I could, I, you know, that. I could be funny and say Clara's heart too, but nobody's seen that either. What? Clara's heart with Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, okay. Interesting. But yeah, um, yeah, he it's like somebody just told him, Hey Neil, you get to dress up in this show. And he was like, Yeah, sign me up. So every other episode is him. And I mean, he he plays every single thing you could think of from from a pirate to a 
uh, sea captain to an, an actor to a woman in a dress. Everything. <laughs> let me let me ask you, Ali. Have you ever read the books? I have not read the books. Okay, but yeah. Yeah. But that that whole series makes me want to read all of them because two, yeah. two layers and and people that we know from um popular from popular media um keep showing up um throughout this um throughout this show as well. Um the uh, Alan uh was it um David Allen Greer shows up mm-hmm. for an episode. Um Alfre Wooded shows up um for like uh, a couple of episodes as well. Um just a bunch of um black and really? brown people. Yeah. Show up. You, wait, wait, you, you just say Alfred Woodard. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the Alfred Woodard. Acting, boy. Yeah. I need to watch. Oh yeah. Damn. And and the thing about it is I think the first season, it's one of those things where the first season would show up and then people see how popular it is and then maybe actors and actresses were just like, hmm, this is popular. I should probably audition to, to go on the show. And all of a sudden you just start seeing more popular actors and actresses show up for a an, an episode because usually when people show up in a, in this show, it's usually for one episode, right? And you'll find out why eventually. But like it's it's just right. it's just a revolving door. So it's really funny. People should check it out. It's a series of unfortunate events that's on Netflix. Okay. Uh DC Universe debuted the first three episodes of Young Justice season three called Young Justice Outsiders. I live. And so Ali was supposed <laughs> to come over and watch it, but he didn't. So I saw episode one. I think Ken saw the first two. I, I saw episode one as well. Now I'm a. I didn't watch much of the first two seasons. So why are you watching this? How the are culture, you going to pick I don't up, know. How are you going to pick up on anything that's going on? Well, I can watch the other seasons because I have DC Universe that are all up there. I can watch. Oh, you're going to. Oh, the, all the other seasons are there too. Yeah. Okay. So I okay. can watch them all now. Because um, everything here is just there's so many callbacks to the previous seasons. I'm just like, how oh, does he even know what's going yeah. on? Yeah. Because I actually like. Well, I. Shame on you, Rain, because I went back and watched like Young Justice when we did our DC animation show. Uh-huh. Are you year two back? Like I, I've seen like maybe like seven episodes of it, seven or eight. Mm-hmm. It's a different experience when you go back and watch yeah. the show because it everything builds upon each other. Yeah, that right. those callbacks had my my and especially the the outro. What's that thing they keep on doing in episodes nowadays? They have the credits roll and then they have like an animation. Yeah. At I, the end. I, I don't care for that. Oh man, what? For episode one? That didn't mm. that didn't kill you, Ken? Why? Oh wait, so you saw episode one? Yes, I just said that. I when, keep when did this happen? When is I I have my ways. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was cute. It was crypto sleep with a little Wally West doll. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean it was cute. Then I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> What Ken? How Ken? How are you not like completely beside yourself? Like people were memeing the shit out of that. People were just like, "Why my heart? I can't take it anymore." you know my heart is stone. I like, have no love. Lord. I know that Black Lightning showed up in other seasons, but did Lynn and the kids show up too? Or is this their first appearance in the series? So, um, so Black Lightning shows up. Um, maybe like maybe all of three times in previous um, seasons, but he's never looked like this. It's not that Black Lightning. Uh, it's a it's a ball headed Black Lightning well, he, from, but no, he looks more like Chris Williams. He does look more like Chris Williams from the from the live action from show. the soon to be canceled live action. Voiced by Cyborg from Teen Titans. Yeah, yeah, yeah Car- Kari which Payton. was so off, off, off. It was weird. Wait, why soon to be canceled? Because Salim and his, his stuff. Well, because of Salim and also because them ratings have y'all. The ratings are looking bad for Black Lightning. 
Like I'm people stop. People right literally side. stopped watching it this season. It's dropped like forty percent. Yeah, and then and then the Salim scandal didn't help it either. Right. Right. So, like, it's there's no it, there's no word about it being canceled, but I'm willing to bet money it's going to either be canceled or cut back to a half season for next for next year. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or to be on the streaming service. Yeah. I don't think they can. You think they would? You think they would pay to put that? You don't on think the they can afford it? it? I don't because like they the people on the show gonna want more money because they because I don't know how long their contracts are. That be, it's because it's weird because the whole thing about broadcast and stuff. I don't know how that'll work. So wait, you're saying that you can ask for more money as your? Well, show. it depends on what your how long your contract is for. Usually, oh. they try to sign you for like four or five years anyway. I don't know how that'll work. Maybe if they can, they might do something like that. But then again, they might cancel it because the horse Lee McKill thing because he's out here, you know, abusing mm. women. Mm. Being or well, allegedly, allegedly. But yeah, he killed. Because yeah, he killed, they killed, they they um they uh, they canceled Love Is over our own. Oprah said, "Well, that's that's the end of that." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oprah wants to be as far away from that as possible, and I don't blame her. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, that's that's just that's that's pretty mm-hmm. messed up. But yeah, Young Justice Outsiders started yeah. off. So, I saw episode one. They're putting up three good. episodes a week for the month of January. So that'll and then like the last week they put up four, so they're getting out the first half of season one. Like quickly, like way quicker than with Titans, which was like one a week. Hmm. Also, it, it, it's it sh- a lot more episodes, though. Yeah, yeah. It should also be noted that um, it being on the streaming service allows Young Justice to explore more um, mature. Oh yeah, um, issues. They were shooting, cutting niggas. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really. Yeah. I didn't think that really added anything. Yeah, it's for me. It, it. I didn't really care about that. I'm. I'm more. Concerned about like other stuff, so I really like that they've they they've um wait how many episodes have you seen, Brandon? I just saw the first one. Okay, Kenneth's on scene three. Okay, so I like that they're introducing um a Muslim character um this season as well. Okay. That's, that's going to be interesting to show more representation on you know um more POC, more kinds of representation of different um religious backgrounds and and whatnot. And I think now now they're free to really. Just go a full ham on the LGBT um, relationships that were teased in the in previous who, um, who, stuff. Who gay on this program? You'll find out. Anyways, so, <laughs> so it's so you know there's a lot more can happen now that it's on a streaming service. Is what I'm trying to say. Okay. All right, Brandon. All right, and then finally, Ken saw F is for Family mm-hmm. on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, which it basically takes, it tells the story of a family um, in the early, late 60s, early 70s. Uh, just kind of, I don't know how to explain this. Step closer to your mic. But basically, it's kind of like, uh, it's an animated family. Basically, it takes place in like, like late 60s, early 70s. A lot of cussing, but it's fun. Um, it's like, you know, the fam- during the 70s, that was a time when a lot of things were changing. Um, and this family kind of reflects that because so, the father is kind of like your Archie Bunker kind of type, except he's actually cursed, cursing up a storm, oh, Lord. Um, threatening threatening all his kids with his domestic violence, except for his little daughter. Um, basically, he tells his teenage son like three times an episode, I will put you through that wall. Okay. Um, the hard way? They deal with issues like his wife was trying to, you know, become a, a woman whose life be- um is more than just her kids and her husband getting a career of her own. And they had like family issues because she was doing better than him. Um, So it's, it's, it's very much like, you know, in the Simpsons vein, 
uh, family dramas, but taking place in the 70s, a lot of cursing. It, it, it's a fun show. I'm having trouble describing it right now. But um, you'll know from the first episode whether it's for you or not. Right. But it's from comedian Bill Burr, if anybody knows the guy. Yeah, Bill oh. Burr. Like he's, he's kind of like um, very acerbic, sort of kind of like... like acerbic? Um, tells mm-hmm. that tells it like it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead on to the news. All right, so when we last left, y'all, Aquaman had not been released in theaters yet, but me and Ali had seen it early, uh, and, um, thanks to Amazon Prime. Now, I know Ken saw it after, and Ken didn't care for it. You saw that Atlantic Station, Ken? What? Aquaman? Mm-hmm. Did you see it in IMAX 3D? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I saw it in IMAX 3D after we saw it. Um, they're blowing that, like, because you said that the score was bad. I think it might be that they're they shit playing too fucking loud in that theater because the whole the whole mid high range of the frequency is distorted the entire movie. So everything uh, sounded bad to me. Uh, well, not just that the score was just fucking bad. I didn't think it was bad. That was busy. Um, they did like in that first sequence in the submarine. It was like they couldn't like there was no smooth transition between the classical underscoring um, background music to when Aquaman would look over his shoulder and they would try to do a rock theme. It was like stuff was all over the place. It didn't feel like the score at all had like, like I know like the music, it should like, it should, you should have different, like I'm thinking the score. The music should not, it should be like an album. Like not everything should sound the same, but it, you should feel like they're related to each other. And I, I didn't, I felt like it was all over the place. It was either generic or just bad or cheesy. It did jump. And, uh, it did jump back and forth, but I, I, I liked it for. I actually, I didn't like it as as much as I did the Wonder Woman scores. It's by the same composer, Rupert Gregson Williams. Yeah, I don't remember. But like, that, I didn't. It didn't stand me as bad, just as like as a little bit busy. It doesn't. It's not memorable yeah. to me, except we'll talk, for the except for the Aquaman theme. I did like the Aquaman. We'll theme. talk more about a busy ass score later on this episode. Um, but yeah, um, so I'm. Apparently, a lot of people fucking like the Aquaman, though, because um, that shit is not the highest gross in um, DC Extended Universe or whatever the fuck they actually call it movie to date. <laughs> um, it is printing fucking money. Wow. Mm. So Jason, it's definitely going to get a sequel. I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a lot of strategy to that. It came out at the right time. came out at the right time. There was no Star Wars picture to take his box office. That's probably got more to do. Jason Momoa is super popular on on social media. Well, I mean, people people are out of um out of work off off work or out of school. Mm -hmm. So that like people like this was a this was um a strategy. You attack like you know usually during these months, and there's not a lot of other stuff coming out right now. Right. Mm -hmm. Because usually you know January, if a film, if it the only thing that makes money in January is what a Kevin Hart picture. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know that's usually the like where they you know they put movies that they know aren't going to do well. They just kind of put them there on that on the schedule there. Stuff that's released in December, they know it's pretty good, and it'll be able to float through January to make more money mm-hmm. and get a bigger box office. Um, that's why Proud Mary last year came out in January. Certified. Uh, that's why I'm worried about Glass right now coming out, even though Split was great and it came out in January. Yeah, I think hey. I think I think Glass might be okay because Split was sort of kind of like I think they put Split in January because they didn't know what to do with it, and they're putting Glass in January because they put Split in January. They're trying mm-hmm. to do this thing where they're trying to expand into winter mm-hmm. with movies because now February is a big market for movies now. 
Mm-hmm. Like it used to be that you couldn't release the movie before the first week of March. Like if you put it out in January, or February, it was guaranteed to be terrible. But Black Panther made all the money last year in February. Well, so, didn't well didn't your boy Tyler Perry kind of change that too? No, no I mean it's Tyler Perry. Okay. <laughs> But I mean, he was making a lot of money. Like he was making a lot of money for Tyler Perry. Let's be clear; his movies cost like ten million to make, and he makes like fifty each movie. Okay, yeah, but still, I mean, okay, but even despite that, these were films where people were like taking church trips to see his films. Yeah, they came out during Black History Month. Yeah, all this was kind of a strategy around it. That's why. That's part of why Black Panther came in at the time. That's it's good like, point. what do you, okay. what do you usually have? Out, right? I mean, during February. Say what you have out. is That's right. Yeah, you, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You have um, what, a, a, move, a, a romantic comedy for Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. You have something that's counter-programming. And then you probably have some kind of films that you don't know what to do with. And like you have you the, saying, Oscar, the Oscar movies that are left over. The ones that have been nominated that are, that are going wide because they got nominated. Okay, there you go. So, and that, and then you have something maybe related to Black History Month, so they can get that Black History dollar. Like where race. we get up, which Black History Month might for movies might as well be White Savior Month. Mm-hmm. Um, like race, that's a terrible fucking movie. I heard but, it might be that uh, Aretha Franklin picture. Uh, it's supposed to be coming out in January, February. I don't know what it'll do with it because didn't because they fell out of the running for Oscar nominations with the last round of. Um, what do you call it? Like um, the shortlist, they felt the shortlist. Like somebody apparently don't like it. So it's not going to get nominated for an Oscar. There's no chance now, unfortunately. Mm. Which is fucked up because it took them decades to put that movie out. Wow. Um, but I'm sure we'll see it at some point. I don't know if it'll, we'll see it on like Netflix or something like that. But yeah. So Aquaman, as of this immediate second, as of this recording, has made $259 million in America. And... $940 million worldwide, buoyed by being these like one of the highest grossing movies ever in China. In particular. Mm. It's still so it's outgrossed in America. Well, it's only outgrossed Justice League in America. The other DCU movies out made more money in America. It's probably gonna outgross Man of Steel, but it's not, it's probably not gonna reach um BVS, clack, uh, Suicide Squad, clack, or Wonder Woman, which is, you know, decent. A bit more than decent, but them CGI in that last fight, though. Um, but yeah, overseas, they love them some goddamn Aquaman. And I think that's part of the movie. If you watch the movie, it sort of weirdly plays like an anime. Like, it's, hmm. it's high on action and light on dialogue. Oh, God, that dialogue needs to be light. <laughs> Like it's it plays like a foreign film. It's it's in a very interesting way. Like like especially rewatching it in IMAX. Like and do that weird shit where they open up the screen at the top and the bottom during certain scenes. Which I don't. I like the shit to be all in one aspect ratio. Thank you. But like um like it's like they it's like they went full throttle into like just make it as big and fun as possible. And that's apparently working for them. It's not gonna work with them with Shazam though, so we'll see what happens with that. I'm, I'm actually terrified about Shazam. <laughs> I have a feeling that Shazam. I have a feeling that Shazam is going to be just like, it's going to feel like you know how those '90s hero movies, like the dialogue, it's supposed to be that kind of. I don't think they're gonna do that. It can go one of two ways. It can either be like a sort of kind of a new version of the Goonies or a big, which is what they're trying to aim for. 
Or it could be the house with the clock in its walls. Mm. <laughs> it could fall one way or the other. I think it's going to... I think it's definitely, like you predicted, going to be campy on purpose. It's going to be campy on purpose. I mean, on the, purpose. the character is campy and on purpose. that's why it's going to be a hit or miss. It's definitely going to be... I feel like... Because here's the thing. When the NPAA rating comes out and it's 67, 60-70% chance it's going to be a PG... It's going to be a backlash. <laughs> People are going to be like, why is it PG? I think, I think, the, I think um, people, the big fans of Shazam are going the, the, to appreciate... What, what, the five or six of us. Okay, mm. are going to appreciate it. And then the people who who want like, I want real stakes, I want tension. Oh, those, those people are going to be, those those people people are gonna be, be angry. Those people are going to be really pissed because that's not... They have to sell the movie to kids movie. and to families. They can't sell it to like right. people who will go see the MCU movies. Right, so they, you have to... People who don't... Um, know what they're like they have the, these expectations mm-hmm. they have to temper them for a movie like this because I mean they're not trying to do like I mean it's it's Shazam it's supposed to be big and goofy and fun yeah. and and kids like I mean most of the damn cast is kids right it's not it's not Iron Man but it's also not how it's not the kind of comedy like Ragnarok was because no. that's a whole different kind of comedy no the closest right. comedy is something like the Goonies is basically what the closest cop is, or big. Like that sort of like fam- like 80s style, family friendly like comedy. Yeah. That involves kids doing crazy we wacky kids stuff. We haven't seen in a while. Which we haven't seen in a while because they're generally people don't like directing because kids we, and stuff. <laughs> we are just not, we're over there. Is that because of the work labor rules and what? Work labor rules and a lot of directors don't like kids in general. The guy. <laughs> the guy Get off my lawn. Get off my lawn. David said David F. Sandberg, the guy that got to direct Shazam, he had directed Annabelle Creation, which involves a whole bunch of kids, and it's also a horror movie. So they that he got elected and sort of kind of agreed to do Shazam because he can actually direct children. And he mm-hmm. had a background as in animation that he already had and got to use. It's sort of like animation and comedy and sort of kind of that sort of offbeat humor that fits the property. So I don't know what they're doing with that. The Joker movie that's coming out in late in like October, I think. Yeah. That is supposed to be a prestige. We're going for an Oscar sort of a thing for um, what's his face? Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Don't know what's happening with that either. Like, yeah, I know how I feel about Todd Phillips. We talked about it before. Ken always chides me because we saw the hangover together. I didn't like it. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's happening with that. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, Marvel does have Marvel does have Captain Marvel in March, which, which looks like it's going to be good. And of course, Avengers Endgame, which is going to make all of the money, all of the money, every single last it's fucking just, cent. It's a mint. A whole mint. Two mints. <laughs> A mint for each one of them ridges on Thanos' chin. That means that's six or seven. Okie dokie. All right. Um, so we're in the swing of award season now. Like I, I said, the Golden Globes are tonight, and the red carpet's already going. Like, I don't have any idea who's going to win what. The nominations this year are a little bit weird. I'm happy for all the Blast of Us nominated. But, um... Okay, Issa Rae. Yeah. <laughs> I'm rooting for everybody black. Um, they also we also have the SAG Award nominations that came in. Um, among the highlights, which means I'm going to read the, the uh, movies that we are either interested in or that are the black people um, shows as well. Um, gosh, they start with TV. 
Um, Atlanta's nominated for Best Ensemble Comedy Series. Sterling K. Brown's not see what else. Sterling K. Brown's nominated for Best Male Actor in a Drama TV Series. Uh, Sandra O's oh nominated for Best Female Actor in a Drama TV Series. Uh-huh. Let's see. Netflix's Dare, uh, Marvel's Daredevil's nominated for Best Stunt Ensemble. Stunt? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, like they. I'm joking. I'm just talking. <laughs> this is Us. It's nominated for Best Ensemble in a Drama Series. Yes. Um, movies. Mahershala Ali is nominated for Best Supporting Actor. In a Don't say picture. Green Book, please. It is for Green Book. <laughs> have you watched it? I still haven't no. watched, watched it yet, no. unfortunately. Okay, no. well, Not it's problematic, it. but he deserves a, a nomination for something. He acted his ass off. Right. He's up against Adam Driver for Black Klansman and Sam Elliott for A Star Is Born. Among have you seen a, anybody seen A Star Is Born? I have seen A Star Is Born. It's good. Do you think he's going to get it for A Star Is Born? I heard it was good. Sam Elliott's barely in the stars. He's really good, but like it's one of them not, the things where he's only in for like 10, 15 minutes. A minute. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I'm like, Mahershala pretty much, he was a co-lead on the film. Right. Like the only reason he probably got, he did, you know, well, they probably thought he had a better chance of getting it for supporting that, again. And but, also because um, like the white, the white, it's the white man story because his son wrote the book and wrote the, um, wrote the screenplay. Yeah. Like the character that uh, Viggo Mortensen plays, his son is is one of the screenwriters and sort of kind of got the movie made. Mm-hmm. Um, best <sighs> female actor in a movie, Emily Blunt, Mary Poppins Returns, uh, up against Lady Gaga, Miss McCarthy, Olivia Coleman, and Glenn Close. That is a tough race. Because um, people, after they saw Mary Poppins, they really want Emily Blunt to win because Julie Andrews also won. But mm-hmm. they also wanted Lady Gaga to win for A Star is Born. And that's kind of a toss-up. Best lead male actor, uh, Christian Bale, Bradley Cooper, Viggo Mortensen, John David Washington for Black Klansman, and Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes, that one. <laughs> we have a winner. He, um, he became Freddie Mercury in that shit. He yeah, really he did. did. He did great. He did a great job. Now, um, the my, my partner has said that there was a lot of... Um, some things were historically out of place. Oh, I mean, it's a biopic. Things are yeah. always going to be historically out of place. Okay. Well, that being said, um, Rami did an excellent job. Yeah. He became he became Freddie. Like really, he really did that. He was uh, that. That's like probably going to be the defining moment of his career, or one of. If one not of. Because he's still young. He's still really young. Yeah. Oh, yeah, one of um, yeah. best done ensemble for a movie: uh, Ant Man, The Wasp, Avengers: Infinity War, Black Panther, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is that Coen Brothers movie, and Mission Impossible: Fallout. And for best cast, like best ensemble cast, they have a Star Is Born, Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, Crazy Rich Asians. I bet you money right now, either Black Panther or Crazy Rich Asians is gonna win that award. Okay, I'm upset that Widows was not included in yeah, that. Yeah, Widows got Me shut too. out. I heard it was horrible. No, really? it's not horrible. It's really what? good. No. What happened is All this. Right. The trailer makes it look as an action movie, and it's not. It's a dark drama that's sort of kind of contemplative and about the characters. So the trailer was meant to put butts okay. in seats, is right. what you're saying. So when folks go to it see it... it's going to be a heist movie. Yeah, it's not a heist movie. There is a heist in it, but it's literally like mm, five minutes of screen time. <laughs> it's, it's like a British version of Set It Off. Yes, it's a British <laughs> <laughs> I 
can get it. I can dig it. But yeah, it's it's really good. But I think like people expected something different from it. And from Steve McQueen, they thought he was gonna be something like important. Is it? I still feel like it's important, but that he was gonna be something like. Troy Years a Slave Part 2 or whatever. And it's not that. So they're sort of kind of upset, I think. I I think it's going to be reevaluated years from now and they're going to be like, we made a mistake. But that's going to happen. Even when it gets to Netflix, maybe people will pick up on it. Right. Hopefully it gets to Netflix. Who produced the film? It's it's a Fox movie. Oh, it's going to be on Disney. It's going to be on Hulu. Uh, where it's going to be. It's going to be on Hulu. It's going to be buried. (laughs) That's what it's going to be. Bob Iger going to be like, what is this shit? It's like, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't fit in into any of their um, siloed um, brands. But that, they're supposed to be what I hear, Ken, and we'll know when they actually do it. They're supposed to put all the Fox stuff that doesn't fit into a Disney format on Hulu. All the R rated and PG thirteen hard PG thirteen stuff is supposed to go to Hulu after <coughs> the who's, sale closes. Who's, who's gonna watch it? <laughs> Because when the sale closes, Disney will own 51% of Hulu, which is is scary. I I mean, (laughs) yeah, but no, my thing is, I don't, I don't, I mean, people might get into Hulu if they do like a deal with Disney Plus, like Disney Plus does some kind of- A uh, bundle. A bundle or something. Um, But I've never heard of some, some people saying, oh, it was on Hulu. And it, you know, and it started catching fire as people started watching it, blah, 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 blah. I literally like, I, I don't, I've never heard of the Hulu effect. I've heard the Netflix effect. <laughs> you know, yeah, shout out to Riverdale. Right. right. But, um, yeah, no, ain't nobody watching Hulu like that. Literally. Ain't nobody coming to see you, Hulu. Stay humble. <laughs> oh, PGA Awards. These are a little bit simpler, so because they only do like for movies, they don't do for individual people, movies and shows. So PGA Award nominees, these pretty much predict what's going to nominate for Best Picture, generally speaking. So, uh, Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, Crazy Rich Asians, The Favorite, Green Book, A Quiet Place, Roma. A Star is Born and Vice. It's gonna be Roma. Really? You think it's gonna be Roma? Mm-hmm. I feel like PGAs go for like big stuff. They probably go for like. That's why it's going for it. It's more popular stuff instead of. Not popular, but like big producery things. Mm-hmm. Or things they feel like. Because Roma is a foreign film, so you know they're going to act a fool. Mm-hmm. Um, best animated movie of uh, The Grinch, which is that good? It's if it's just a isn't just a rehash. We've seen three different iterations of Grinch. There's traditional animation, there's live action, and now there's 3D. Yep. Why do you need three different versions of the same movie? I don't know. Um, Incredibles two, Isle of Dogs, Ralph breaks the internet, Spider Man into the Spider Verse. It's going to be a. It's going to be. Between... I want to see the Ralph one, but I'm waiting for mm, the video. It's going to be because... Spider Man into the Spider Verse. See if you can, Greg, see it in the theater. Maybe like on like in the in the dollar theater, but that one. That one will look best on a big screen, especially when they go when they spend all their time in the internet and just how much, just how there's detail, there's okay. too much detail. There okay, is. so help help me out because you have more experience with movies and shit like that. Mm-hmm. What's the best time to go where it won't be no kids at all? Oh, uh, <laughs> Rob Brace, the internet. Oh, the kids have already seen it. Yeah, they've already seen <laughs> you it. Can go anytime. They're done. But oh, but it's it, yeah. it's best right. to go at night. Never go on Saturday or Sunday morning. 
damn. Ever. That's my problem. Never, never, never. Never. I went ever. to see I went to see Incredibles 2. And the children's oh. recited every line oh. of the trailer, didn't they? No, no, no. That wasn't it. Because <laughs> that wouldn't even bother me. If they reciting the lines, that wouldn't bother me if they was quiet and paying attention. This little kid was in there talking to the mama like every two minutes. Mama, like, what happened? What they did? <laughs> what he about the movie? <laughs> and they, I'm like, Mama, I'm hungry. <laughs> Feed me. I see. Feed sometimes me. that could be fun though. When you go, there. I like going to see horror movies and you know atmospheres like that. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you see people talking and yelling. Talking to the screen like black people acting the food. I can't, that's what I, was I can't wait the? For. It was some Pixar movie I saw in the theater that the kids didn't like at all. I think it was Ratatouille. Well, it, it might have been Ratatouille. It wasn't like um, what was it? The one of the feels. What was the? No, it wasn't Inside Out. It's not Inside Out. Okay. It was because I didn't see that in the theater. Because it was I, definitely I Ratatouille. That. The children turned to them, Daddy said, "Daddy, this isn't a very good show." Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I still have not seen Inside Out. <laughs> yeah, you bring a bring a box of tissue. Yeah, can. yeah bring you some Kleenex. <laughs> that, that, that movie fucked me up. I was like, there's no reason for me to be that goddamn. It should be. It should still be there unless they rotated it out. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It was so great being there watching Infinity War on yeah, Christmas. I, I love that man. Yeah. That was so cool. Yeah, I still I need to rewatch that. it. Watch so he's not off that cliff. Wow. <laughs> I'm interested in seeing where it goes from here. I'm I'm waiting for uh Did you guys um Yeah. Did you guys time it? Um Oh people do did the countdown to when Danos did the snap. Yeah, I didn't do that, no. People no, like, no. Somebody had it where if you watch it at a certain time, that's when um uh Gamora drops. Gamora yeah, it drops. Yeah, so oh, bring the new year. Wow. Now, I I didn't want to go that far, but just Dang. like Zoe's out done in the, in these movies, like <laughs> I just I don't know what is the problem that you have with her. I just I don't think her acting is exceptional. I don't think her acting is she, bad. She's okay. She's it's, just it's, there. It's her. I think it's more her. I, yeah, fact, I think it's a personality. Bert Cork to play Nina Simone, and oh, she says, "Of course, it's a dumb oh, shit." There you go. Oh, that's so that's what it's turning you off because to me, she's not an exceptional actress, nor is she a terrible actress. She's just there. Like I don't, I don't go to see Infinity War or any Marvel movie. Going, man, I can't wait to see Zoe Saldana. <laughs> she's, she's a piece. She's a supporting. Exactly. Well, the she's, thing is, in Infinity War, she had a big ass part. I, mean, I think I leaned over the theater, yeah. tell the trio, "Damn, she got a big part." This movie. <laughs> really Brandon, Brandon just cannot. He just <laughs> Brandon stay. Brandon stay hating on this poor woman. <laughs> You better I, let this mixed girl live. I'll let her, I'll let, I'll let her live. I'll let her live. I'll just, I just, I just, just be picking at her. Just like, Stall him out, Debo. Stall him out. <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't want to like, I don't want to rag on anything like that. It's just, you know, like, she need to apologize for the Nina Simone shit. Her and that white woman who made the movie. They both apologize. <laughs> you know that ain't happening. Profusely. He already apologized. More. <laughs> like Kevin Hart, you got to apologize again. Speaking did of which, actually watch that movie because <laughs> I never did. I never did. No, I can't do that movie. myself. Mm-hmm. Who's the black guy who was in it? He escaped uh, by the uh, by his teeth, boy. Nobody got he got not didn't get backlash. David Oyelowo. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He yeah. sure was in that joint. Yeah, he was. Bless his heart. That's he, why he you played Martin Luther King, though. That's because, that's why he got that's why he got a pass. He played MLK. Okay. Um, hey. This might sound messed up, but I've been I always been calling him David African name for a long time. 
<laughs> well, to be honest, I started to say that's why he didn't get her backlash because nobody knew how to say his name. They just said fuck it. You talking about David Oyelowo? Yeah, David, I mean, David. you break it down. It's Oyelowo. It's an expression. Wow. Of, I could never it's spell it. It's an expression it. of happiness. I could never spell it, but I have it phonetically embedded in my yeah, head, like to pronounce it. Yes, <laughs> it's kind of like I did with Mahershala. Yeah, Mahershala. Well, Mahershala yeah, yes. spells See. like it sounds. Yeah, which is a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> That's really yeah. <laughs> That is but, really But great. really, David African name? Really? <laughs> I just, <laughs> just... Why you like this, bro? <laughs> yes. You know what? Oh I think I was born this way. <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of born this way, uh, <laughs> so Kevin Hart uh, um, went oh, on to the Elder Generous show. Oh, boy. To apologize to the white gay community. Nope, 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 nope. The white gay community. Um, about his, you know, sort of kind of the way that he handled the backlash towards his past um, jokes in his specials and in his tweets and such. Mm-hmm. And Ellen basically was trying to sort of kind of do this thing where she was trying to stump for him <coughs> and get him to reconsider and to a cabbie to accept his reconsiderance to be the host of the Oscars. Because as of this recording. There is no host for the Oscars, which are six weeks, weird. seven weeks away. <laughs> Man, you know the so funny weird. part about that is that do we really need a host? Yes. Yeah. Why? You need somebody to be, ladies and gentlemen, Sandra Bullock, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, George Clooney. You need somebody there because the whole you idea is that they keep well, the, they, they're supposed to keep the, the, supposed to keep the, um, the special, energy. the energy up between the, where to get people ready and stuff, you know. You, you, you and at the come. very least, we need somebody just that opening monologue. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's just part of the Oscars. Yeah. They, they, okay. yeah, they always hire a stand-up because stand-ups know how to do improvisation. So when they're like, like Kevin, go out there and do five minutes while we get somebody's dress. Um, do that thing. Go, yeah. go out there and do that thing where you make people laugh. Yeah. So you know they're just going to get uh, Kevin, go out there and be worried about stuff. LL Cool J isn't funny. You know they're just no. going to make him come up again, right? Well, LL Cool J is a funny artist. Art of Oscars on CBS this year because he only works on CBS. <laughs> <laughs> Rude. <laughs> oh, but yeah. So that happened and people got mad at Ellen because the whole thing is that Kevin Hart, and this is a, a big problem with the whole way that it was handled. People act like only white gays exist. Like there's no such thing as like a black gay person. Like, like, like niggas are fanciful unicorns out here and shit. So mm-hmm. it's like, if you apologize to the white gays, it's fine. And it just gets, and it got weird. And so there was a lot of backlash towards Ellen in particular because it's like, you know, Ellen, the problem is that he was talking, because he's talking about the whole idea, the joke was that, you know, from his special, Evermiss tweets about him trying to keep himself from being gay, that being his biggest fear. Mm-hmm. I love that people were talking about he's not homophobic and how Kid Fury on the read was like, He's, well, he's afraid of his son becoming gay. Gay fear. Gay fear. Homophobia. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, Kid Fury took the word, he separated the syllables and then interchanged them for <laughs> It was like Ghost Rider shut up and started spelling out the words. It like that part that could be in the dictionary. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. But yeah, so wow. there was backlash from that. And then Don Lemon invited Kevin Hart again to come on the Don Lemon show on CNN. Don Lemon Tonight, I think it's called, and do an interview. Now, I know Don Lemon's black and gay, but, you know, I was sort of kind of hoping somebody who would ask 
better questions. Who would, you, <laughs> who would you have chosen, Brandon? Um, there's a list of people. I, Lena Waif have been good. Michael Arsenault would have been good. But Lena um, Waif doesn't interview people. And he knows right it have to. Does it have to be necessarily somebody from the LGBT community? Because I, I in, would this, think so. in this case, yes. For yes. The, for this particular topic, it, it should be right. Like you, you, and, uh, Billy Porter. I don't know if he does interviews. Billy Porter, because he's an actor. He did. He wrote this really good op-ed about what was fucked up about his response and about sort of kind of the way even like the white gays handled it and stuff. Because it was like, this is about, you know, is this something that in the black community in general that's still an issue that never gets properly addressed? If there was going to be a dilemma, I would want him to sit right next to Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart should stare somebody in the face and they need to mm-hmm. tell him how them sort of right. jokes, because that's been my thing for years, them sort of jokes like how they affect people and how mm-hmm. they affect people's behaviors and things like that and how they lead to, how they're basically sort of kind of like, I mean, the joke is about basically abusing somebody. So, I mean, that whole thing. And then Kevin Hart, after all this shit happened, said he don't want to be the Oscar host anyway because he didn't want to be a distraction. Like, nigga, why we do all this shit for? Um, Ali said, what did you say on Facebook? You said you thought you dropped some driftwood, but you, but it came back as a, like a boomerang? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I, I, was like I, I thought I threw away a piece of driftwood, not a boomerang. <laughs> yeah, so now they still ain't got no fucking host. Somebody said the Muppets should do it. I said that'd have been a, that'd been a great idea Wait, you four mean like months actual, ago. Yeah. Which you mean like the, the actual planning, Muppets? Because you got to do a lot. Yeah, to it's too much fucking work to do the Muppets. Like this, this far close to the show. Yeah, the actual Muppets. That was somebody's idea. I feel like at this point, they it has to be somebody of color. Yeah, it, no, yeah, no that's that's the problem. Like you got to get. What's somebody. MC Light up to? I know, right? <laughs> oh, shit. Ladies no, and I gentlemen, know. it's the 91st Academy Awards. I know. On BET's ABC. Now, look, she's going she gonna to get up there. She's going to be like, I need, a, I need an Oscar. I need an Oscar. I need an Oscar. Got to get an Oscar. I need an Oscar. Got to get an Oscar. Oscar. Um, <laughs> shit. They got to find somebody, though. They gonna be, it'd be so fucked up. They have no, have no host. They just have the announcer. And they show, like, clips oh, or something terrible. like that. People don't even watch it anyway. You know what, dog? At this point, sadly, man, it... The viewership I don't know how, is so low. It, it kind of has to be Kevin, man. But he's such a... He's just being such a jerk about it. Yeah, like, yeah. But, like, okay, so this is my question. Like, what what can he really do to, like... To make the shit... Really, make, to make, make this shit for real right. To, to where it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, for him to be for real sorry. Yeah, like he I he, mean, he gotta do some sort of advocacy thing. He gotta yeah. make some sort of like participate in like the it gets better campaign or some shit like that. He some just, shit that's easy for him to do that would mean yeah. a lot to people. Yeah, and, and he, also, he doesn't I don't have want to people be. To forget during this whole time he had that Cowboys and Indians party for. Yeah, that shit too. He got podcasts today for American folks that yeah. Cowboys and Indians he's shit. He's been right. fucking so up. So this was like a couple of things all in the yeah. span of two weeks that happened. Yeah, that he was for, so I feel so weird about that birthday party thing. <laughs> what? I, what? Who? Who does that in 2018 anyway? Like well, Brandon. Brandon. The thing is, we assume. But like, I hate to say it, but we're probably more plugged into these things. That's true. Than, than the average person is. The average person ain't gonna really see no issue with that. You. Like, you try. You tell Big Mama that, like the little babies yeah. can't have a a, 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 a cowboys and. In in native not native they wouldn't say Native American cowboy what, Indian can, party yeah but do we yeah, you know, yeah but do we even don't get that excuse because he really about the same age as us like yeah he, he can't yeah. use that you right he can't right, use that right. because people of his it, age like he was in his fifties or late forties or something I can understand because you no know, they went hard on cowboys you know what I mean like they, and I mean, when confronted again he didn't back down right so. yeah 
or apologize. That's, that's what makes it corny. That's what makes it bad, man. You know what? And it's like, yo, if you're gonna be that that comic, that that guy that's gonna be that guy like he is, you can't take them stances like that. Yeah, because he's trying to be white people's best friend. Yeah, that's his whole routine. If you want to be accessible to everybody and be that guy that's gonna be in kids' movies and all that, like. You know what I'm you saying? Gotta change. Yeah, you got to change, man. Right. You can't, you, can't say, you, can't, you can't do that Corey Holcomb shit. Show the fuck can't. And by the way, I said it last time, I said it again. Fuck Corey Holcomb. Okay. <laughs> I don't like that nigga at all. All right, so now it's time for... Ali's over here laughing. <laughs> I'd have gotten the belt ages ago, but y'all just... <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... Um, this past couple of um, this past three days, Lifetime aired the Surviving R. Kelly um, mini docu series, six episodes that was executive produced by Dream Hampton. Who now I know she comes from the quote unquote old country, Jameson and Gray, but do y'all know her? Know her at all? Nah, I really don't. Okay, what was her handle in old country? I think it was Dream Camp, Dream Hampton. Yeah, I have no idea. I just know I always heard about her. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I knew she came from there. But, right. Yeah, I have no, you know, I don't know if she was full, a worker or what. Full disclosure, what what I know about Dream Hampton in terms of it's not, I'll be the first to say it's not actually factual. Right. But there was always a lot of conjecture surrounding yeah. her and D'Angelo back in 2000. Yeah, let's not do conjecture then. I, I, no. So no, no I, that's that's all I know about her. But, you know, there's been a lot of word about that she's kind of messy. Yeah. But, I, I don't... I, so. I, I got barely... I just know... I barely know of her. But but so her thing, she's a journalist. She's like... um, She's coming best music journalist. And like for a couple of years now, she has basically been like, you know... I mean, most most people with sense are anti R. Kelly, but she in particular was trying to, you know, to like, why isn't he, you know, like suffering some sort of result from how he's been treating young girls and women over the years? And so this documentary was, you know, like sort of kind of part of that. It was produced in cooperation with the Mute R. Kelly campaign that was started here in Atlanta and with the Me Too movement because uh, Toronto Burke started that she is in the documentary as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a six-episode sort of kind of breakdown of all of R. Kelly's scandals involving mostly young women, many of them underage. Like it starts with like episodes one and two are kind of about all the things in the 90s, including the Aaliyah scandal. Episodes three and four are about the sex tape and the trial involving the sex tape. Episodes mm-hmm. five and six are about the more recent thing where he was, you know, allegedly kidnapping girls and having them holed up in houses in Chicago and in the Atlanta area and not letting them see their families. So I guess we can sort of kind of talk about what was covered I know some of us seen it under things, some of us haven't. But I think all of us generally know, sort of kind of like have a general idea of like some what these some of these scandals were. So episode one start like when it gets into it proper, like it starts break by breaking down R. Kelly's family life. It's like his childhood and stuff. Um he's how many brothers do he have? Like, is there six of them total or five? I think I thought it was he had. I thought he had three brothers and a sister. I think. Yeah, I think there's like five total. But so his brothers Carrie and Bruce are in the documentary. Bruce is in jail 
for like DUIs and robbery and stuff. And Carrie was the one he tried to say was the, the one in the sex tape back in the uh, 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce, can we just, just say Bruce Kelly is a mess as well? Can we just can we say that? That's that's not that's not, you know, that's not a controversial opinion, is it? No, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, but at the same time, it's the harder part is to look at the fact that a lot of times when people are abused, David Cohen they, abused this as well. So yeah, so to yeah, like, so we start jumping ahead a little bit. So they talk about in the first episode how R. Kelly was um, was sexually assaulted as a child by from seven a, to fourteen, seven to fourteen by a by both a male and a female member of his family by two different people. They actually did. Did they say a, a male and female? Member? Yes, they did. I didn't catch that. I don't know why I didn't catch. Yeah, primarily was, a male, but then like there was a woman, like, either in the family or who took care of. Him. Yes, they did say okay. Yeah. yeah, they did say that. I remember that. Yeah, it was primarily a male, but then yeah, yeah, and so they they broke down basically how he was really shy and withdrawn compared to his brothers, and how he pretty much focused just on music, while at the same time all the abuse was going on. But it's like you were saying, like like the whole cycle thing that wasn't broken here of, you know, he was abused and then he became an abuser. And Yeah, let me, let me jump in on that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, some, some of my work that I do is in sexual violence and working with individuals who committed sex offenses. So, you know, the stats uh, just want to bring up at the top, we know one in four women, one in eight men have had some type of sexual abuse in their history. That's insane. Um, so, and those are and those are guests to be underestimates. Mm. Um, so, you know, one thing as we're kind of talking about this history is kind of recognizing that this is prevalent in our communities. Um, you know, not all people who are sexually abused go on to sexually abuse others, um, but it does kind of give us some understanding into maybe some of his upbringing, his family dynamics, as you guys are talking about the brother. Um, and, and, and it's not going to be an excuse for his behavior, uh, but does lend us some understanding of kind of his family situation. Right. Yeah, because the reason I say the brother was a mess, because the brother made it seem like R. Kelly messing with young women was just a preference. Yeah, just that, his thing. Yeah, Just the thing that he mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. And try to underplay it. And like, it just, he said a bunch of other things we'll get to that were really messed up. And there's only four Kelly children, apparently. I swear, I thought it must have been cousins stuff that were in the pictures as well. But yeah, so they grew up in the projects in Chicago. And then they moved to like the suburbs when he was in high school, I think it was. And they had his high school music teacher in the thing, talking about how at a very young age, um, Robert was writing all these songs, singing all these like very sexual, sort of kind of really grown things that a kid shouldn't be discussing or even knowing about, which sort of kind of alarmed her. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you know, we know, like, sort of kind of music stuff, you know, like, as far as, like, he started a group that was really called MGM, became public announcement. They had some early success in the very early 90s. You know, he stole Aaron Hall's entire style and sound. Oh, uh, yes. It's Got so signed awesome. to Jive Records, same label as Guy. The same label as Guy, right? Jive Records? Yep. Yes. Yep. And, you know, took off from there. Then he, like, you know, dropped the group. And went solo, and he put out uh, 12 play, and then he became a star. So, full disclosure, maybe it's my age, because I was like 10 or 11, I guess, at the time 12 play came out. But I I don't have that 
attachment to that album that a lot of black people have. Yeah. I never had it. And I just, <laughs> I have never really liked much of R. Kelly's <laughs> popular music except for like the ballads anyway. Like, yeah, I wonder if that speaks to some of it. You know, I, I think we're all around the same age range. Right. I, I didn't have that fondness, or uh, I remember not even getting the appeal of R. Kelly growing up. Right. Um, but, and so I wonder if that makes a difference with folks maybe a little bit more older than us and their attachment to him. Yeah. Now, how how old were you guys when uh when Twelve Plays dropped? Like, I had to be ten or eleven. Like, what year was yeah, that? Like Ninety three. Three. Yeah. So ten years old. So I was, I was eighteen. Yeah, I was mm. 12. Mm. Yeah, like, I mean, Bugs Bunny introduced me to, like, to, like, like <laughs> R. Kelly music. Right, right. <laughs> Let's be clear. Uh, now, I do, I do remember R. when 12 Play was out, like, it was killing the radio. Now, see... I remember it playing, though. like, I remember it, um, yeah. Bump and Grind on the radio. I just remember it Constantly. not liking it. Because <laughs> I was see, a I kid. was in Chicago that summer when that, when that album uh, came out. Oh, Lord. So that's kind of, it was kind of extra, like, turned up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I'm glad you said that song, and I like that I liked it when it came out. But now I feel disgusting because I like. Yeah, I will. I will say this for what it's worth. I mean, back then that that record was really, uh, he was blatantly biting Isley's in a lot of it. But at the same time, he was kind of bringing that sound to the 90s and to the 2000s, kind of. He was bringing a sound that had been missing from R&B music back into. Yeah, like and and the remixes were fucking incredible, especially fresh off the Aaliyah stuff. I mean, the remixes were really dope. Yes. I mean, from our, from an artistic point only. And uh, prior to me seeing the documentary, uh, I thought it'd be difficult to let that music go and not mess with it anymore, not listen to it. So here's one of the things that we learned in the documentary that fucked me up. Mm-hmm. A lot of these songs, I mean, it should make sense based because of how songwriters work. A lot of these songs are about young girls. I mean, some of them obviously seems like you're ready and stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. The aging but a number that he wrote for Aaliyah, but, so he wrote You Are Not Alone from Michael Jackson from History from in 95. That song was about one of his young victims suffering a miscarriage because R. Kelly had gotten her pregnant. Now, is this confirmed? It's that in is the documentary. Strange. It's in the documentary. Yeah, it's in episode two. The late, the girl strange. it happened to told the story. Uh, Lisette um, Martinez, I think her name was? M- Melendez, I think. Melendez. And yeah. he played the song for her. Yeah. That's disgusting, man. It's highly fucked I up. I couldn't believe that shit. I'm like, for real? I was like, Wow. Right. This one thing, I mean, you know, we all fuck with problematic ass artists, but he just takes the cake. Like, he takes the cake in like a different way. Man. Like there's some shit that you really haven't seen like on this level. It's like maybe Jerry D. Lewis and Chuck yeah. and Chuck Berry. Like this is a whole nother get down. That makes me wonder though. Well, I mean, how would how would social media have handled it if Jerry Lee Lewis was now? He wouldn't have had a career. Yeah, it would have been a rap. R. Kelly wouldn't have had a career if social I, media I was out. Social media was, yeah. yeah, I think if social exactly. media was then, yeah. Because it mm. was easy, it's easier now for information to travel. Like, you don't need, like, a news so, like, outlet. Yeah, the fact you that we're just, just meeting the uh, victims, like, that's right. the main reason I even watched the doc, because it's like, I, I never heard from the actual victims, like, right. at all. 
Because here's because the thing the thing is it would be easy for us over a certain age to dismiss the documentary or the idea of it as oh look a, a documentary on how water is wet, but mm, it is important to sort of kind of look into the eyes of some of these women and, yeah. and like hear their voices and hear their stories from their perspective because the thing is that I feel like if you hear stories about things like this, you try to pass it off as rumors because. You know, this person wrote this song that I like. They couldn't possibly be that bad or something else has to happen, right? And it's that weird thing that liking a piece of art or a piece of entertainment does to your your um, your perception of reality. You make excuses for stuff. I mean, I, I, uh, and things like that. And But, like, you actually see people, this is what happened to me, you know, with their face. Because there's only one person in the whole documentary who was sort of kind of did, like, the mask and, like, the... Our mother's worst sort of things. Who's on R. Kelly's staff? Right. But everybody else, you know, they're they're sitting right there looking at you. They if I may, let, let me also throw this in there. Um, I know we're still going through the episodes talking about it, but I want to add this. Um, Dream Hampton uh-huh. just tweeted uh, on the sixth. Here, I'm just seeing Charlemagne's. Oh, 22- we'll get to that. We'll, we'll stay up for episode six. We'll get to that. Yeah, let's, we'll get there. Yeah. So. Uh, one and two in particular talk in more detail about R. Kelly's dealings with Aaliyah. So, I'm pretty sure everybody listening to this podcast knows who Aaliyah is and everything. Baby uh, girl. Yeah, like, baby girl. <laughs> yeah. So, mm-hmm. Aaliyah's uncle, Barry Hankerson, was R. Kelly's manager in the early 90s. And that's how he got introduced to her. Like, she was young and sort of kind of, you know, they took Aaliyah sort of kind of into their camp under R. Kelly's wing. And by this time, he already was messing around with young girls already. He was like, like, every woman that I know who has either lived in or grew up in Chicago has an R. Kelly story. If it wasn't them, he was trying to holler, it was a friend of theirs. He would hang out at uh, Kenwood High School and at the rock and roll McDonald's downtown. Like, Buy food for people. Yeah. Like, every, like without fail, every single last black woman I know has an R. Kelly story. And it, that and that's really what solidified it for me, was just keeping hearing people saying, yes, that's what he does, that's what he does. Like, and just... Mm-hmm. But so the Aaliyah thing, she was... Uh, go, ahead, go ahead, Ken. No, I was thinking something like one of our mutual friends said... Mm-hmm. Because uh, he like she had a story, and it's not funny, but she was talking about how he did stuff with uh, one of her friends that she wasn't quite ready for at that age, and like, ooh. Anyway, yeah. um, I'm just gonna let, let that go. Yeah, like, um, so Alia was 12 when she met R. Kelly, and he talked in the documentary about how they were on the tour bus, and one day the door flew open, and, and uh, they saw the tour bus that R. Kelly was having sex with Alia. Well, was 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 statutorily raping her, to be clear. Because Aaliyah was probably 14 when that happened. And she, Aaliyah never looked grown, to be clear. She always looked at very old as like a teenager, even like throughout the rest of her life. So mm-hmm. just, like, this is a child. This is an entire child. And then, you know... Yeah, I, I've heard from people about, you know, comments regarding the documentary on the use of girls versus women. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Was really problematic, and so you know, making sure that we're referring to girls as girls, um, right, and not trying to sexualize them or adultify them. Right. This was a, a little girl, right? Like 
And so her first album came out in 94, AJ Nothing But a Number. And R. Kelly, of course, infamously on the artwork, blurred out in the background. He Dude. wrote all, he wrote and produced, he wrote, he produced all the songs. He wrote most of them. The one he didn't write is the Isley's cover at, at Your Best, You Are Love. And, and then, of course, in 90, in I've had the damn um, the thing um, in August of 1994, uh, and so what's his name? Demetrius Smith, I think his name is the um, the former personal oh assistant. My, I couldn't stand that dude. Yeah, so he was talking about how he was asking Robert, "You ain't messing with this girl." He was like, "Nah, nah." And he comes one day and says he didn't got Aliyah pregnant, and so their solution was to have R. Kelly marry Aliyah in a legal ceremony. That was seen overseen by a minister, for which um, Demetrius Smith says he forged paperwork to make Ali seem like she was eighteen and not fifteen when he married when she when she married R. Kelly. Which that that's a that's a whole goddamn lot. Now back in the day, Vibe magazine got a hold of that marriage certificate and they printed it in the in the magazine, right? And people, I be honest, people, a lot of people still didn't believe it. They thought it was fake or something. And, and the, I mean, it's still in the record books because, you know, they keep that shit. Mm-hmm. That, that's a whole fucking lot. This is where I say social media would have changed everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, being able to verify this, uh, you know, going back and talking to that minister and... um. You know, it just highlights how much of a systemic issue this R. Kelly situation was. And I'm sure we'll talk more about it later, but just top down the amount of people who knew, had access, who contributed to these sexual assaults is just disturbing. Yeah, because like, scary part. he was talking about how he helped forge the paperwork and stuff. And then, of course, when Ali's parents found out, they had, they had the thing and the whole thing annulled. And... You know, um, Aliyah's mother, Diane Houghton, she's been on, you know, sending out uh, statements about how the people in the documentary are lying. In particular, what was her name? The lady, her name started with a J. I'm look it up. I got the article in here. But how she was lying on Aliyah, that Aliyah never had sex with R. Kelly, that she knew about because they were with her all the time. And it's like... Look, I know that was, that was her daughter. I know that, you know, her daughter's been dead now for mm-hmm. going on 20 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, and also because it's her brother who was entrusted to watch Ali. Right. I just... The brother wasn't in the movie, wasn't in the documentary. No, the brother's not in the documentary at all. Absolutely not, yeah. Like, because also, he's the one also who's holding Ali's music. Like, you know, if you go to any... Like, you can't buy an Ali album. Anymore. And, and Brandon, I don't know if we're bringing this up, but uh, are we going to bring up JoJo's tweets? What did JoJo say? I didn't hear you say it. So JoJo is, is the cousin. So he he's Barry Hanks' no, no, no. son. Uh, JoJo the singer who was under... Um, oh, oh, that JoJo. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm thinking of Joe Mo. The cousin is Joe Mo. JoJo is Mo. the girl, um, the, um, the young white girl who was signed to the label, who's like 30 now, something like that. She just mm-hmm. got off like three months ago off the label and she's re-recording all her stuff. What did she say? Um, she's tweeting a lot. Uh, that one that she, uh, when she was there and on the label, she heard these stories. Um, and she was only 12 years old at the time. Um, she mentions recalling uh, wanting to work with R. Kelly and her mom not letting her because they were constantly hearing these stories. Um, and she's just being really respectful on Twitter and just talking about 
kind of access and, um, you know, passively talking about the things that she overheard even as a child uh, in the situation. Right. Um, and, you know, she's advocating for, you know, Black women's voices not being heard regarding this when, mm. you know, she, she was also present to hear these stories as well. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. good to take a look at. Yeah, so then the whole thing, of course, you know, once, you know, the marriage was a no, they pretty much, R. Kelly and Ali are part of, you know, all all company of all sorts. And she started working with Missy Elliott and Timberland instead. Mm-hmm. But so they took her out of Chicago and put her in back in Detroit and stuff like that. Which you would think, okay, so that's fine. Now, you know, they made a whole bunch of hit records on their own that, you know, so everything's fine. That's cool. Come to find the fuck out. Now, full this, like, this fucked me up because I've always been a big fan of Timberlands and this this is like finding out like, the whole Nas Khalees thing. It's like, all my faves, or I, 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 what am I going to listen to now? So All your faves are problematic. Problematic as fuck. So Timberland... This video resurfaced just weekend because of the, the documentary, but this is from like a year or two ago. So I remember when it came when it came out and it fucked me up. So Tim decided he was going to tell us after all these years that he was in love with Aaliyah. Not just the crush, but he he wanted Aaliyah really fucking bad, but he never acted on it, he says, because the whole R. Kelly thing. He was 23 when he met her and she was 16. And so he's like, well, I'm just going to be her brother instead. Which we didn't need to know any of that, first of all. I'm glad he didn't act on it, but it's just fucking creepy, the whole idea that he would like. And the, and, but the fucked up part is that for those who, have, who are listening who haven't, Google Timberland and wife and see what Mrs. Mosley looks like. She's essentially Earth 2 Aliyah. They look exactly alike. Down to the haircut. Mm-hmm. Like Damon Dash dated Aaliyah when she was like 20, 21. He was like pushing 30, I think, at the time. That's still like a big ass gap, but at least she was legal at the time. And he came out over the weekend talking about how he didn't like, you know, obviously didn't like R. Kelly. You know, when R. Kelly and Jay-Z did Best of Both Worlds album together in 2000, that was the start of the dissolution of Rockefeller Records, he says. And how Aaliyah wouldn't talk about R. Kelly at all. The only thing that she would ever say is that he was a bad man. Yeah. And I think Damon Dash echoed those same remarks, too, in the Yeah, interview. Yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah, I was, I was talking about Damon Dash. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, Damon Dash wasn't in the documentary, right? No, he wasn't. He just yeah. he, he said this stuff over. I, I don't know what platform he was, it was but he said it over the weekend. On. I don't even know what it was Stop. on. Yeah. Okay, I mean, I'm gonna make sure I didn't miss a scene because yeah. I'm like, I didn't see him, but okay. Yeah, it, it like resurfaced, like sort of, kind of sideways while the documentary was on. Um, I it, side note, I kind of slightly chuckled because the whole thought of Jay Z. And this R. Kelly thing brought back to mind that famous interview where Jay-Z kept saying, I don't work for you, B. Hmm. He kept saying that because obviously there was some contention between him and Jay-Z. And nobody really knows exactly what it was about. But when the tour had to break up, Jay-Z, of course, gave radio interviews. And most of the complaints were how... R. Kelly took most of the stage time and things like that. And and the famous, most famous quote was, I don't work for you. He just kept saying it. 
right. So right. that well, there was there was a little chuckle to be had there, but I bet. And didn't he do something weird where he held up like a McDonald's like drive through late at night? He was doing some weird ass yeah, behavior. Was, yeah, he was engaging in some odd behavior. Which, like, was, which I think that was around the time when the allegations came out. And it's like maybe Kelly knew that was coming and he was stressed out. That would actually explain some of that. Because as soon as that stuff came out, you saw Jay-Z got ghost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, which that's that seems like pure Jay-Z character behavior anyway. Like he knows something's wrong, but as soon as it is negative publicity, you don't see nothing from Jay anymore. Yep. So Sort of kind of episodes two, three, and four sort of kind of go into more detail about other women that R. Kelly was assaulting. Basically, the pattern he had was that, you know, he was famous, he was popular, he was on top of the world. You know, he would meet these young girls, they would become infatuated with him and sort of kind of the idea of being, like, possibly being a star, being around a star. And he had this thing where he would get in their heads and control them, you know, not just, you know, statutory rape and stuff, but controlling when they ate, how they ate, when they went, you know, you know, when they were able to use the bathroom, where they went. It was like he had this thing about controlling women by every aspect of their lives, depending upon mm-hmm. him, and caught and forcing them to all to call him daddy. This even extended to his 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 what Andre is his second wife, right? Or is she the first? Mm-hmm. But she's in a documentary. You know, she's well, if you count Aaliyah. Well, yeah, she's mm-hmm. the second wife. That's that's right. Um, and so, and she's the mother of his three kids. And she was grown when they met, but he treated her the same way, sort of kind of controlling everything that she that she was able to do, down to the point where she was like nine months pregnant in two thousand two thousand and one. Whenever it was when this when like the allegations dropped, because what happened was that R. Kelly sort of kind of shuttled her from Chicago to Florida on a whim. And she ended up like having a baby while he was being arrested, indicted and arrested for uh mm-hmm. for child pornography charges. That's when she had like uh Robert Jr., their third child. Because what happened was that. One of the girls that he was messing around with, her name was Geronda Price. Am I correct? Geronda Pace. Geronda Pace. Geronda Pace. Yeah, she she met R. Kelly when she was like, I think it's the, I think that the, the assault started when she was fourteen, but I think they met when she was twelve. But also, the thing is, she still looks young now. She's like a little baby. She was a little girl. That's what I was stressed. Like, I was. Uh... I I don't know if any of y'all know, but is she related to the the Pace sisters in any way? I don't know who the Pace sisters even are. The gospel group. I, I don't know who they are. I'm sorry. Okay. Google that. Yeah, go- Greg, Google that and see if you can find that out. Let see, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, so she told us that R. Kelly would force her to have sex with other underage girls and he would film it and didn't have sex with him. And he would film that. So he was like, had this thing where he was camcording all of these sex acts with these underage girls. It was like a compulsion he had. He couldn't stop. And there was a point where she came in contact with like the VHS tape of one of them. And she left it in a hotel room on purpose. And that's how it leaked. And then somebody also sent a copy of it to the Chicago Sun-Times as well. And they reported on it. And that's when, like, eventually, of course, you know, we hit the streets and stuff. So 
here's I have never I know a lot of people back in the day was watching it like it was a regular ass sex tape and everything like that. I the only parts that I've ever seen were the parts they showed is extreme close up in the documentary. I've never yeah, seen it. I, I didn't want to see it. Like a freshman in college when it came out. Um, and I just remember how actively it was being passed around. Right. Um, uh, you know, on what it was at LimeWire and stuff back in the day. And Kazan and stuff. Uh, yeah, and Kazan, things like that. <coughs> and again, now that's distribution of child pornography. Yes, it is. That's what I was totally thinking about when it came out. I'm like, do you know how many black people got got child pornography in their house right now? On their and computer. If, yeah. And if somebody raids their, like, raids their house or looks at their stuff, they will be found in, like guilty of having child porn. Yes. Absolutely. And, you know, that was before I became a sexual violence advocate and became in this field. But mm-hmm. I'm still like, this is disturbing. Like, people were actively watching this with this little girl in it. Um, and just the way it was passed around, like, it was nothing. Yep. Yes. Because I remember in Barbershop 2 that Ice Cube's character Calvin says he's seen the tape. It's like, like the last <laughs> joke in Barbershop 2 about the whole R. Kelly tape. hmm Like... So there was like a New York Times article today kind of talking about that, that, you know, uh, some of these skits that we have with like Chappelle and Boondocks made light of it. Uh, Boondocks, maybe a little less so, really highlighting kind of our hypocrisy. Right. Mm -hmm. But but people were making jokes about this uh, when it was child pornography. Yeah. So the girl like who everybody's identified as being in the video was the 14-year-old at the time niece of Sparkle. Sparkle was an R.I.B. singer who, for those who remember the song where R. Kelly, be careful, you better be careful what you say to me because it might turn around on you. They have... Mm-hmm. All right. Ollie, are you... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that song? I do. I, I, I know y'all do. Like, I'm asking him because he's sort of kind of like the non-music person, so I'm trying to figure out how much R. Kelly he's familiar with. There was a song back in the late 90s. It was R. Kelly and another girl. It was, um, you better be careful what you say to me because it might turn around on you. You better be careful what you do to me because somebody might do it to you. If the shoe fits, wear it, boy, wear it, girl. I don't remember that particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe fine, maybe fine. It was a hit. Yeah, it was yeah. a big hit. Yeah, maybe fine. Wait a minute. Let me finish. Yeah, all that. No, you know what? No, no yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, the, so Sparkle, the woman who was in that video with him, uh, she introduced her whole family to R. Kelly. Like the one brother was working as a guitar player, who on a lot of le- later hits and stuff. One brother got credit to be like a bassist, even though he wasn't playing no bass. We'll get to that later. And the guitar player's daughter, R. Kelly, was trying to take under his wing, and then she ended up being the girl who's in the tape. Like Sparkle. Like, you know, found out that it was her. And, you know, because they, uh, the police, she said, brought photo stats to the house to show them mm-hmm. from the tape. And it caused a schism in their family. Mm. Because the rest of the family still wanted, I guess they were still trying to figure out if they could be famous off, uh, like, by being associated with R. Kelly. So they all denied that it was her. <laughs> and basically... Sparkle's career was over and done with from that point forward. And she said it took 10 years for her and her family to reconcile with each other. Because the whole thing was that the Arcade trial didn't happen until 2008. Mm-hmm. It was delayed mm-hmm. for seven years. Yeah. Like, which, you think about it now, like, it's... And 
they speculate in the documentary the reason why the lawyers kept pushing him back because once the girl took the stand, she would be grown. And right. It's a com- It's actually a common tactic. Really? That, yeah. If you delay the trial, victims are tired. Uh, they're being re-traumatized. Um, they'll age out. And so for a lot of these sexual assault cases, they go on for long periods of time in order almost to benefit these offenders. Wow. My goodness gracious. They, they actually said that in the documentary too. Yeah, like mm. like they. Because fa- I didn't, I didn't think about that. Yeah, like they were saying that you know once she she be grown, she stand so people wouldn't see a little girl. And then they interviewed one of the jurors, who that didn't matter to him anyway because he just thought R. Kelly wasn't going to be guilty, and it wasn't a black person. It was like he was, he wasn't white. He was some. Let me hit you uh, back, Jules. Some kind of Spanish. Some kind. Of, I don't want to say some kind of Spanish. I don't think he was. He was another. He was a non-white person of color. <laughs> I mean, he was a non-black person of color. He was a POC. He was a POC. But that was extremely fun. He was. At least he was honest, I guess. But my good, my goodness gracious, our Kelly course was found not guilty, and everything. And I remember the um, but people um, because also he um so. One of the victims was the sister of his bodyguard, who they interview as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, him saying that he was happy at first when R. Kelly was found not guilty. But I mean, it just seems like such a such a like a, like a what do they call it? Like a um, an obstruction of justice. Because it's like he he just got worse from there. And there was one other girl that he met while the trial was going on. Mm. Another 14-year-old girl. That, that story's weird. You're talking about... Um, it was Geronda that, that he was, That's when he met Geronda. I forgot the name of the, of the other girl who was the one who found the tape. I'm trying to see if I can find any of this stuff through... I should have took more notes, but I apologize for messing up the names. But yeah, it was Lisa, right? Let me look it up right quick. She was the one that found the tape because she started looking through the tapes and she found she was the older woman in the tapes. Yeah, because she was Wait, seventeen. Did BuzzFeed do an article? Uh, she wasn't older. She was the older girl. Let's be clear, because she was seventeen, and uh, and yeah. Sparkle's niece was fourteen. Right, and she didn't know because. Re- R had lied, R. Kelly had lied to uh, the 17-year-old girl and didn't really tell her she was 14. Right. Uh, he said she was 16. Lisa Van Allen. That's it. I said Lisa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she she's the one that actually found the tape and she gave it, she said she gave it to a friend for safekeeping. But, and it isn't really inferred, but I'm obviously assuming that said friend either tried to blackmail her on the back end or did some other stuff with it, and that's how it got leaked out. Yeah. I found that's, Raina April's tweets about it. She's recounting the whole thing. Uh, apparently, R. Kelly also got her pregnant, but she chose to end the, to end the pregnancy because she was yeah, afraid the baby would be abused. Yeah, she didn't want a baby with him despite, you know, to, with everything that was going on, she said in the uh, documentary. Right. She didn't want to bring a bit. She did not want to bring a child into this world based on all of that. Yeah, and over the course between the arrest and the trial, um, 
Andrea <clears throat> uh, separate from R. Kelly. It's she talked about how the children would be made fun of at school because your daddy rapes little girls. You can't sit with us at lunch anymore. Oh. Things like that. Mm. Like, and it's like everybody's story is heartbreaking. Hers, hers in a in a particular way is heartbreaking because it's like she was like, uh, like how it was like she was already trying to figure out how to keep R. Kelly happy as his wife so that he wouldn't mistreat her. And she's like, how do you have time to mistreat me, abuse me, and do that same thing to other, to girls, other women, and also to little girls? How do you have the time to do these things? I remember mm. her saying, like, just... It's just a so lot. Mm. The so, Chocolate Factory. Yeah. And episodes five... And they talk about how he kept putting out music, of course, and, you know, he had um, big hits while he was on, while he was, after he'd been indicted, you know, ignition and trapped in the closet and all this stuff and how he was, you know, trapped in the closet, he's making fun of his doing sex comedy routines and stuff in them videos and stuff and how it's step in the name of love. And he's trying to, like, appeal to, like, black people's religiosity and stuff, like making, like, happy people and things like that. And it worked for a lot of folks. Like, I'll be honest, I never liked any of that 2000s R. Kelly stuff. The only thing sort of kind of I ever liked from that era was Contagious, which is, you know, he wrote for the Osleys. Let me say this real quick. You know, the I think the worst part of, of all of it was Loveland was supposed to be like his real, like his magnum opus. Loveland ended up being the chocolate factory. Loveland didn't come out. It was, uh, it was a really good record. But it ended up being remanufactured, you know, finished as Chocolate Factory. That record, when all of these allegations started to hit, that record was really good. It was some of R. Kelly's actually some of his best work. I, I, for whatever I, that's where I, I understand where you no, at. No, but but so I saying, never liked the sound of like because like it was like, and the rumor I heard was that he had Ghost Riders anyway. Cause it like it sounded like just the quality of everything went down after the turn of the century for him. To me, <clears> to my <throat> ears. And the allegations, of course, obviously, it was like, well, I feel more than justified in not liking the stuff now because I don't have to have that that dilemma with it. I mean, that's that's fair, but at the time it was very well produced. Right. And that was kind of his you know, every, I don't know, you, you and I have talked about artists and development a lot in different shows. It's, it's, the irony's not lost on me that it took Aretha Franklin five albums to be great. It took Stevie three singles to be great. So the fact that, you know, he did all these different albums, but then this is the one that really catapults him somewhere. And then for this stuff to be happening simultaneously, more people were invested in his career rise than these rumors or these allegations. And that's really why I think people just seemingly ignored what was going on because he was able to influence and uh, push public perception to the left he was able to influence people to, eh, it's just rumors, don't believe it. Right. It's just rumors, don't believe it. And 
unless you knew somebody in Chicago who was right up in your face telling you exactly what was going on and they were actually privy to it, you felt like, well, I don't want to get personally involved. I'm just going to listen to the music and mind my business. That actually leads into episodes five and six as well. So five and six are mostly about things that happened in the last two or three years. They're mm-hmm. about R. Kelly taking these um, girls, mostly who were still underage, like 17, 16 and stuff, and taking control of their lives, putting them up in houses, not letting them see their families and stuff. In particular, um, the, what was it? Um, how do you pronounce her name? Um, the Savage's daughter. Let me, let me pull up my notes right quick because I made sure I got these because all these names are definitely in my notes here. But, ba- but basically, like, a lot of these parents, they had heard the allegations. Joycelyn. Yeah, Joycelyn. Joycelyn Savage. Joycelyn yeah. Savage. And the other one is... Uh, the sister? No, not not the sister. Um, the one whose name starts with an A. Gosh. Gosh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Asriel Clary. Because she's the one who's from Orlando. Like the parents She's are, the one that's still with him. Yeah. The parents are in the documentary saying that, you know, they had heard the allegations, but they but since he was found not guilty, they had written it off as just rumors. Mm-hmm. And so they were still listening to the music. They were going to the concerts. Like the whole Clary family went to an R. Kelly concert. And that's where Azriel met R. Kelly. She Come was to find out old. he had already been in contact with her and talking with her by phone prior to that show. And then they like, said they said that in the documentary. And wow. then and then like they um, you know, like that night he was having sex with her, they later found out while she was still 17. But he even though he assured them that he hadn't, of course, that that she was just auditioning for him, even though like she hadn't got in contact with her parents for like hours. And there's like this whole thing of where she thought this was her big break. And so she basically f- sort of kind of tried to lean on her parents successfully to let 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 me go and be underneath R. Kelly's wing. Mm-hmm. And who graduated for years, like she they saw her at their her high school graduation in 2016 and then never again. There's this thing in the documentary where they try to they go to where they where the studio is that R. Kelly records out of in Chicago. And they try to get the police to let them in. And the police, they can't do it legally because they don't have, like, a warrant or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just like... And I also was... like They also found a lot out because she still had her iPhone and she was still on the mom's iCloud account. So they were able to find her text messages as well. So I found out about the sex. So there was that. There was the um, um, Joycelyn um, Savage and her family. Like, Joycelyn was the one in the TMZ video who they put up to say that nothing was wrong and everything was fine, even though, like, you know, she wasn't able to come and go as she pleased. Mm-hmm. And then there was um, Dominique Gardner. Like, her mom's in the documentary, basically, like, this is where, like, documentary, like, it's just where, as with the Clary family, takes an active role in the whole thing where they have the mom, helping the mom go to get the daughter who they found out was living in Beverly Hills in a, part, in a hotel room with um, 
with Joycelyn. Like, R. Kelly had, for some reason, decided that he was going to make Dominique into a boy and cut off all her hair, basically sort of kind of made her sort of kind of have this masculine persona. And would, and, put, and they say in the documentary that he would draw a mustache and facial hair onto her to make her into a guy. Mm. Yes, really. And so you see in, in, the, in the documentary, like, the mom, like, gets the hotel manager to take her to the room. They, you know, like, she sees the daughter for the first time in years. They hug and stuff. And it was like, um, mama, um, I can't talk right now, but come back at six and we can talk. And she comes back at just before six to come find out that Dominique had called 911 on her. And the police are saying that if she comes into the hotel again, she'll be arrested. What we learn is that R. Kelly basically forced her to call the police on her own mother. Jesus Christ. So the mom hides out in a bathroom wow. near the hotel, and they basically smuggle Dominique out of the hotel room and into mm-hmm. the car and down the street. We find out later that she went back to R. Kelly three days later, but then escaped again. Like, he's basically running like a, like a cult. They call it a sex cult. Oh. And the thing, I think that's an accurate yeah, it's, description. It's sex trafficking. Yeah. Yeah, definitely sex trafficking. This guy yeah. like seems it. like he's getting. It's all. This seems like he's. It's right out of the the pimp playbook. It's, it's like what the what the pimps actually do. Like not the stuff to get glorified, but the the breaking down of the mentality down and the preying on people. influence. It's all all of all of interpersonal violence is about power and control. And if you kind of read up on all of this, he's doing every single thing in the playbook. Yeah. You know, isol- or doing the grooming, so patrolling these high schools, yep. uh, coercing girls, promising them a career, um, you know, isolating them from their families and giving their family the promise that they might be famous one day. This is everything that's a part of kind of what people do when they're engaging in domestic violence, sexual abuse, uh, you know, for him, possible pedophilia too, when you were thinking of that and just the broad impact. Um, and yeah, the extent to what we're getting to is sex trafficking. Right. Uh, it's the point where, yeah, these uh, women are fearful of escaping and could be at danger of, uh, you know, leaving when if they try to escape is the part that a lot of people miss. That in a lot of issues of domestic violence, when you leave is the time where you're most likely to be killed or have family members killed. Yes. Um, so that I'm, were- I'm sure this young lady was thinking about that at the time, too. Yeah, because uh, Asriel Clary's sister, Isis, in documentary, like, because the Clary's tried to basically have it where at least one family member was always a chaperone for Asriel. But they basically sidelined her older sister, Isis, and basically said that if you try to come back, you know, bad things will happen to you, her, and your family. Right. And that's why I'm curious about the industry and their contribution to this. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll get there a little bit later about people who've spoken out and not spoken out, but there's a lot that went on. You guys talked about the change in the album. Why Why did that happen? Are we trying to change his image in order to protect him? And why are we really trying to protect him? Yes. Uh, what, what is it about R. Kelly versus other artists that were really going out on a limb and protecting him and uh, in this effort, uh, there, there's a couple comments I'll make later, but it, it, it's truly, truly sickening and disturbing. Yeah. Was it Barry Weiss who used to be the president of Jive Records, Greg Jameson? 
thought it was a woman that was president of the job. Well, I think now, but one of the former presidents who was a guy basically said that they ignored of R. Kelly's personal problems. Like because well, of course, of course they did because yeah. it's all about the money. Because yeah, it was all about the money. Obvious. He was bringing a certain amount of money, and so therefore they just like they they disregarded all his rumors. I think by the time he ended up on Epic, which was like years later. You know, like after all it's the consolidations and stuff. It's, they, the, it's the same way Jimmy Iovine ignores Dr. Dre's situation. Exactly. Because these record execs are looking at the bottom line, the bottom dollar. Uh, whether it was a male or female executive, that really makes no difference. Right. Because it happens on both sides. You know, uh, it's, it's more heartbreaking to some of these, uh, for some of these girls, I'm sure, to know that a woman is complicit in that. Because she could be a victim as well at, on the right day. You know, it wouldn't even have to be the right day. It could just be period because of how far reaching someone like, you know, R. Kelly is. Yeah. And they talk about a little bit in the documentary. And I've read some other stuff in other places as well. Like, not just the label, but like the Tom Jordan Morning Show, MCVB, TVH1. Like, when R. Kelly was super popular, he was generating income for all these venues. A lot of people. Like, I, Torrey said that when the whole thing was going, Torrey, of course, did the infamous interview where he asked R. Kelly point blank, do you like teenage girls? And he said, when you say teenage... How are we talking? How old are we how talking? Are we talking? He said, he went to... Shit. Yeah. He went to MTV and said, shouldn't we stop playing his music? And they said, but how much money does he generate? Mm-hmm. Because it, to them, that's the only thing that mattered. Right. Whether they were going to pursue anything, if if he didn't make enough money for it to really be worth their trouble, then yeah, they go ahead and turn him in. Or but if he's making money for them, they were they kept it quiet, which is what they eventually did. Yeah. So I mean, it's what it's what it's what they always do, and it's not mm-hmm. even limited to just. Music, you know what I mean? Yeah, we could translate this to Cosby. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, he's big time. Yes, exactly. I mean, the business of Cosby was a lot of money. A lot of people benefit from from a whole lot of money, international money, because it was you know a TV show and we talk. I think when the Cosby was syndicated, I was reading that you know they made a billion dollars in like the first couple of years in that show. It's a lot of money, man. A lot of reasons to yeah. No, we look the other way. Yeah, and too many people are getting fed off of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Too many people. So, but yeah. Um, so that's the whole documentary. Is there anything else that we want to talk about before we talk about sort of kind of the like the impact of it and sort of kind of things that happened around it? Anything it, in the documentary is, itself? Did you want to talk about the Charlemagne stuff in that part? Or that's sort of kind of like the last thing I have in my notes. Okay. Um. So yeah. So of course, before it started, Arcade threatened to sue Lifetime. For what I don't know, it's not for defamation of character because that's gonna be an easy. That that that. I said when he when that arc came out, please sue them, please. I would love to see the discovery on that on that court case. Mm-hmm. Especially with that amount of people speaking out, he's not gonna win. He's not gonna win that at all. So, and I saw tweets from lawyers willing to help out after they watched the documentary. So right. It, it's going to be interesting. Oh, yes. Willing to help out. Um, oh, help, for help. the victims. Yeah, Excuse for me. The victims. Okay, for the victims. Okay, good. Yeah. I was about to say. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So, 
Dream Hampton put out some tweets before the special came on, before the first episode came on, saying that she had interviewed, she had asked for interviews for a large number of celebrities, and she named one. So the only celebrity in the interview footage is John, well, two. Like, entertainment celebrities, is only two of them. One John is John Legend. The other one we'll talk about at the end of this because it was a controversy uh-huh. that he appeared in it. But John Legend is the only musician who appeared in, the, in like, the documentary uh-huh. footage. Like, she had asked Erica Badu. She had asked Questlove. She had asked... Um, she's also said that she had asked Dave Chappelle because they should... And Mary J. Blige. And Mary J. Blige. And they all turned her down. Questlove in particular, because they have been, you know, she's from the old country. When we say the old country, we're talking about okplayer.com, y'all. Like, we, a lot of us met there back a long, 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 long time ago. Um, yeah. So, because, you know, obviously Questlove, okplayer.com, Dreamhampton, you know, they have been friends for a long time. He, She says that he told her, I would do anything for you except for this. And so people hit him up on Twitter because Questlove was always active on social media and like, Quest, why did you not agree to be in a documentary? He said he didn't want to, he was asked to speak on R. Kelly's genius. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to be the guy finding over the musician in, docu- in a documentary like this is why he turned it down. And Dream immediately fired back and said that, I'm sorry you feel that way, but that's not what I asked you to do it for, you know, we needed male voices to speak out against R. Kelly, p- people, for, uh, voices of his immediate peers, is why I was asking. Like, and you watch the documentary, and John Legend does sort of kind of say the line about R. Kelly was a musical genius, which I mean, me and Greg will fight, I strongly disagree with. But he, but John Legend's in all, he's in most of the episodes. I don't think he's in all six, but he's in like at least four. And he, but he, gives the interview that they use for pieces of all, like the whole thing about, you know, he's in the last part saying, you know, time is up, R. Kelly, and things like that. And so it became a back and forth on Twitter and they deleted all the tweets and stuff. Like, that's sort of kind of a thing that I think really has to be between the two of them. <coughs> like, because like, whatever happened, like, especially if not, if there's no, if they're not going to, be giving like the same story or at least or a disagreement that makes that you can see where would have happened and who said what, you know, that's sort of kind of getting into like messy sort of kind of in, like personal territory that, you know, is why social media can be bad for people. I think sometimes it just in general. Um, so the special itself, so we'll actually, do, I'll do it now. So the other person, there's a like celebrity who appears. Well, I guess Wendy was a celebrity too. I tend to think Chance the Rapper's in it. Yeah, like uh, Chance the Rapper is in it via footage from another venue. They didn't interview him for this special. They took footage from another like outlet and used it, basically saying that he made a mistake by having making R. Kelly making yeah. a song with R. Kelly. Right. Like, and he said because he didn't value, you know, the the um the statements of black women who um who um who spoke out against you know like R. Kelly. He didn't believe them. Uh the special itself, they got 1.9 million viewers for like the um mini search, which is really good for cable. Like sex calls to sex abuse hotlines went up, but also 
the streams of R. Kelly's music went up 60% as well. It didn't so- La- Layla Hathaway said that's what happens when the artist dies. That's a good joke. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a good joke. She said that? Because mm-hmm. um, Jada Pinkett Smith was wondering why are his streams going up, and Layla Hathaway said that's what happens when the artist dies. Um, I like but that. at the same time, it, even bad publicity is still publicity. It is. It's reminding people that he's out there and the music. Yeah. So they're going to go and listen to it. Yeah. Or, or I know some people don't know anything about R. Kelly. Right. A lot of, uh, you know, non-black people. Folks. And so they, they they were curious and wanting to know and going mm. back and listening to these lyrics. And that could cause some... Oh, yeah. I, I can yeah. see that being a spike. But <laughs> yeah, sad, I'm, I don't know, man. I think it's too many. If, it, if it's a spike like that... It might it was 60%. Be. Like, it's a, that's like a mild spike yeah. at best. I guess that's okay. Because like, I, I, I do kind of want to hear You Are Not Alone so I can, like, really, what parts of this is about the abortion? The whole thing. That's crazy, man. Like, also, one flaw I thought with the with the documentary series itself in general, I wouldn't have played a single record of R. Kelly's if I could have helped yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like, I understand why it's there for context to remind you of these songs and stuff, but... A, you got to pay him royalties, and B, I feel like that will spark those memories, people, to go, you know, and listen to the stuff for entertainment purposes only. I would have just left it all out entirely. That's that's just me. That's that's, my, that's what I would have done. But, like, but yeah, the other thing, of course, is that Charlemagne the God, the infamous host of The Breakfast Club and the Brilliant Idiots podcast, appears in the documentary you know, quoting Malcolm X about the most disrespected person on earth is a black woman and things like that. What he's saying is true and everything. The problem, of course, is that Charlemagne, number one, has had his own, like, sexual assault um, allegations that has still not been cleared up or resolved at all. And B, he had a tweet he made back in 2010 because, you know, he fancies himself a comedian. He said that R. Kelly had one of the greatest celebrity sex tapes of all time. Yeah, the exact quote is, furthermore, R. Kelly had the best celebrity sex tape of all time. Right. November 28th, 2010. Yeah, and so people were asking, why was R. Kelly, I mean, why was Charlamagne included in the documentary? They actually, uh, they added Dream Hampton and asked her. So she responded today and said and, that. And, Char- and, and to note, Charlamagne had a previous rape charge that was uh, either dropped or acquitted. Yeah. It, which came up, I think, last year and sort of kind of, and it, he didn't really address it properly as well. So, right. according to from what I'm seeing as well, one of his other tweets, and this is kind of disturbing to read, but for context, R. Kelly looks twenty something. The fountain of youth clearly can be found within teenage. Oh women. God! Oh no! Okay. I, my thing is with some of these quotes. No, no, no. They're they're more clearly bad jokes than yeah. They're very bad jokes. That's that's not. They're bad jokes in poor taste, but Mm -hmm. I don't say they. I don't think they're in support of R. Kelly. Right. Yeah. They're meant to be bad jokes in poor taste. He was just on troll time. Yeah. Like that's what he does. That's his whole brand is trolling. I definitely don't think they. And people say rape culture doesn't exist. This is rape culture. Exactly. But I. But I. I agree. I don't think he did. I think it was set up as a joke. But that's not something you really joke about. Right. So. And so, but that was Charlemagne's brand of humor at that time, too. and it's and it mm. still is because he still has still problems. People, it's just, it's when people disgusting. saw him in the thing, they started protesting him because you know all the whole the whole Janet Mock and Lil Duval thing from a couple of years ago. 
But they to, and then they found, then they went back and found that tweet as well, and that added to. It. So Dream had to explain that the like after they shot Charlemagne's footage and put it into the documentary, they scaled him back at some point because he was in more of it. They decided to still keep him in episode six, but he had apparently had been in more of it. And Dream said that she actually should have taken him out entirely, and that she had sort of kind of fought more to debate whether or not to take out Bruce Kelly entirely. Because the whole thing about we forgot to mention when Bruce, when Carrie Kelly was offered a hundred thousand dollars to to say that he was R. Kelly in the tape, and he turned it down. Bruce was like. You could have been rich. All you had to do was say that you was our that that was you in the tape, which you know, mm-hmm. my God. But so that's sort of kind of become that's sort of kind of as we're recording this, where the controversy lies. People are asking why uh, Charlemagne was ever in the thing in the first place because you don't you really don't need him. He's no, not essential no to the edit at all. I mean, I didn't feel like I needed any. Any of the journalists to be real with you, like I, the only reason I watched it was to hear the, the uh, victims and the and the, the psychological um, breakdown of it. All the other stuff, man, it's like I don't know. I man. feel like, like like some of them were used, like Toure, Nelson, George, Jamila, and you were, were very useful because that's what they do. Wendy Williams, I'm on defense about because Wendy Williams is just messy in general, so yeah. I'm always sort of kind of like mm, when she shows up in anything. But, I was. Sort of curious why uh, Jim D. Rogatis wasn't in it. Who's that? There was the guy who broke the story in Chicago. Oh. Um, and there was some thought, I guess I'd seen some information uh, through uh, William Ketchum's page, who uh, he's in the magazine. I think he, he's, he's now the editor-in-chief of Vibe, I believe. He, uh, he's from the old country, too. Um, but he... Um, he had something in his page. I think Amy Linden said that Jim is aware, but he didn't want to be involved or did not want to be involved in this documentary, but he's aware he's still doing activism regarding it. Mm. And, but I was wondering myself, I saw some buzz about that. Okay. Um, the whole documentary, uh, are, are we going over personal feelings yet, or no? I don't want to. I mean, because yeah, I had a because I you know going into that, I wanted to know how you all are feeling, you know, as black males and seeing Twitter and the tweets, uh, both in support of victims and otherwise. Um, how did you guys deal with this documentary? Uh, For me, go ahead, go, go ahead, ahead, Brandon. Go ahead. You go first. Okay. Well, no, Greg, because you asked, so you go first. Go ahead. I I'm um I'm. Part of me doesn't know how to feel because, and then a large part of me, it feels guilty because there was a point in time where I thought it was just rumors too, and I didn't pay a lot of attention. I will agree with that. Like um, in the 90s. Yeah, I thought it was just rumors and, you know, people just messing with them. Because granted, whatever you may think about his music, I mean this, Loveland uh, Chocolate Factory was a hot-ass record. It was great. And, like, that was his... That was his like real strong record that was about to come out. And it was just like, okay, who are these people trying to, you know, shame him a mess up or ruin his name with some BS charges? Seeing everything I saw in all six parts made me feel very guilty. Um, even though I personally never watched the sex tape, 
never um, saw anything else regarding this uh, up until now. Just to know all this was going on just as much as literally 15, 10, 15 years ago. Some of it slightly, three months ago. Some of, some of it prior, yeah, beyond that. Um, to know all of this was happening just that far, that soon ago, was really disturbing. Yeah. It was very disturbing, very hurtful. Um, it, it made me reflect back to some of my own uh, personal experiences of, of when I was brainwashed once. So I remembered, damn, that's, that's how he got these girls, was mind control. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. Right. It is it is totally terrible. And my only my only one question that I'm left with after, and this may not be a question anyone here can answer, but it's just a question that just sits out in the ether. What's next? So I can answer that a little bit. There was there's one of these cases, I think it's um the lady who sued him because she says that he gave her herpes. They yeah. filed a civil suit, and I think there's a criminal like charge associated with that as well. That case could send him to jail. Uh, not for long, but that case, I think it's like the only case. I think she also alleged sexual assault, but they have to file full charges. That is like a potential thing that could happen. That's like really the only one that's still within the statute of limitations as far as that. The trafficking they would need. I think they might. They could possibly get them on that too, but I'm not sure what kind of investigations required for that. Um, That's crazy, man. But yeah. you know what? They're gonna need. They're gonna need testimony from the girls. And right. the problem is the pro- the problem with the first trial, is what I could tell from the special, is that Sparkle's niece, through whatever influence, she, she said it up, wasn't her. Yeah, she, she said, said it wasn't, it wasn't her. her, and she didn't testify or. When she testified, she said it wasn't her, and she lied. Right. So clearly, without that evidence, it made the case fall on, onto itself. Right. And that that the whole the whole case was her identity. Yeah. And once she said it wasn't her, they had no reason but to believe her. Right. Yeah, and that's what I clarify for a lot of people. People say, "Oh, victims lie." No, victims recants. Yes. Uh, for a number of reasons, uh, for fear of their safety and for others, uh, because mm-hmm. they don't want this trial to go on. Yes, victims recant a lot. That doesn't mean they're lying. Right, exactly. Um, so when we're looking at these cases, we really have to look at them with that critical lens of, again, uh, in most cases, over like 95% of cases, these victims are telling the truth. And nobody understands that they recant for their own uh, mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. Their own. Uh, again, again, do you want to be on trial for eight years? No. Uh, you know, when we're talking about that with victims and why victims don't report or why they do recant, uh, thinking about the dragging out this trial for that long, and if somebody wants to go through that, that it's a hindrance to our whole system in really supporting uh, victims of sexual violence, domestic violence, and the like. Right. Faith mm-hmm. Rogers named the lady who's suing him about the whole yeah, case. Yeah, I briefly forgot her name, but yeah. I remember her name yeah. from So, her. as for my feelings about, like, watching it, like, a lot of people will say, it's, it's, it's a hard watch. Because it's like, 
It's like you know something is bad, but you didn't know how bad it was. Or you had an idea That's of how exactly. bad it was, and it yeah. exceeds your idea of how bad it was. That's exactly it. Yeah. Like, just like I the, really didn't. the depths of how pervasive everything was. And like Greg was saying, like, it makes you think about people who try to do the same thing to you as far as, like, trying to, like... Because you don't have to be, like, a... You know, R. Kelly is essentially illiterate. They say he can read and re- read and re- read a little bit, but he doesn't understand, like... He doesn't read on, like, like a, even, like, a grade school level, apparently. But he... No, he's crafty enough and clever enough to figure out all these different ways to try to control women. Mm-hmm. And just, like, you know, you might, you know, like... The same thing can befall anybody. You don't know it until somebody points it out to you. Like, mm. and just in general, also just seeing people, other people's reactions. Like, so I had put a post up on my Facebook the other day saying, because there's this whole thing going around now, people talking about how this R. Kelly documentary is just a distraction from the government shutdown. The government has been shut down <laughs> since since they yes the government's been shut down since they um went for off Christmas break three weeks ago, and that's number one. Number two, I don't know how anybody else's um local uh, six o'clock news works, but on my channel they do more than one story at a time. Like mm. if you can't have more than two things going at the same time, I said, you might just might be objectively stupid. And then I saw people who I'm related to saying that stuff. <laughs> and people I know, like, on a very personal level, and I'm just like, Jesus Christ. <sighs> like, And let's be clear, mainstream yeah. media is not covering it. I, I just went to, uh, yeah. as you were thinking about this, I just went to CNN.com. I do not see a single... <laughs> No, <laughs> better wow. with this on it. So you know the level of distraction. Yeah, maybe on Twitter with it going you know viral on social media with the folks talking about it. But broader media is not covering this. Yeah, why people don't care about this shit? Like there was one New York Times article I saw. I just saw because I was trying to find people's names and stuff. But like yeah, see, it's not on CNN. They had 1.9 million viewers. There are 350 plus million people in this country. But you know what? You know why? Why what? And I'm pro- I'm probably going to get to the obvious here. The reason why mainstream media is not covering it is because none of these girls are white. They, and they say that in the documentary too, and I agree yeah, with you. Like absolutely. they say, if he had done this with white girls, done it like it wouldn't have been allowed to get this far. It's like just the disregarding disrespect for black women that and black girls mm. that you know, society has in general that's led us to this point. And to be honest, I'm hoping that, you know, more things happen Um, from this documentary that they actually file charges and stuff. I'm hoping it has the effect that, like, you know, the whole, the the article about Bill Carson with the chair, the empty chair thing has and trying to get, you know, indictments and things like that for R. Kelly. It's like, he had a whole sex cult, like, 20 minutes from this location. Like, a whole house where they only stopped because he got evicted for non-payment. Because the R. Kelly people were taking his money, he couldn't afford to keep the house anymore. And uh, the lady who went back to the house and sort of kind of explaining how, you know, he, uh, she wouldn't even go to her old bedroom because there's too many painful memories that she remembered from being there. 
They also said in the documentary um, that the two parents that were looking for their daughters when they called to perform wellness the checks. The Clarys, yeah. The Clarys, they, he got word of the wellness checks because law enforcement. In Chicago, yeah. In like, Chicago and Atlanta tipped him off. Which is fucking disgusting. That was crazy. They tipped him off and told him they, some, they about to come through there looking for their daughters, just so you know. And so he was able to for him to prepare for the fucker. Why would you even agree to do that? What amount of money would get you to be like, let's make sure these daughters stay separated from their parents, from their families, against their will? How does that... I'm not sure that's a question that needs to be asked once you understand about law enforcement and, and their role in the black community, first of all. You're right. Second of all, crack cracking the inner city neighborhoods is a whole nother thing. Yeah. Is that your phone? Yes, yeah, my phone. I'm turning that off. Okay, all right. Um, what, what about my, um, Ken? What about you? I don't have anything to add right now. Okay, Jameson? Um, as far as the, yeah, it was, it was a tough, it was tough to get through. But, um, I mean, my whole thing is like, the, the, as far as the fallout from it, it's like everybody known about all this for like 25 years now. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, I don't know. I kind of find it a little disingenuous just just how bad everybody is like really mad now. But like, where was this anger at in 1995? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it was just funny. It was just fodder for jokes like less than five years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dave Chappelle, one of his most famous bits is an R. Kelly joke about, you know, Pissing on girls. That's a good question, Jameson. And, you know, that's that's part of, honestly, part of my guilt and, and definitely not making it about me. But yeah, that's a large part of why I felt guilty because I thought to myself, damn, why didn't I take this more serious back in 95? Yeah. Like, what, what was it? I, I'm still racking my brain trying to figure out what I was thinking of back then or what stop me from really seeing this as it was. I mean, I guess it was kind of like, I don't know, I was always like, I never really was a big fan of Dude anyway. Like, I never bought a bought an R. Kelly album, you know what I'm saying? And it wasn't really, you know, I, it wasn't, no, it wasn't no, nothing for me to, like, not listen to it, but, mm-hmm. I mean, I like songs here and there, but for the most part, you know what I'm saying, I almost just laughed at how ridiculous he was, but, you know, at this point, man, it's, I don't know. Yeah. And then, you know, I got, you know, uh, when I saw that it was um, when I saw the um, who was who was putting the documentary together, the first place my brain went is like, okay, so she gonna interview uh, Jay Z, right? Yeah, and J- like, uh, did she ask Jay Z, right? And he said no. He's one of the ones who said no. But that's what I'm saying. So why aren't you getting at him? Like you getting well, some, love. somebody had a really nice tweet that said, uh, you know, some of these celebrities can't participate because. They're, they're probably complicit, or yeah. or yeah. R. Kelly has some dirt on them, right? Uh, so you know, opening up that can of worms of kind of what people watched and witnessed and uh, didn't speak up to. Yeah. And and Dream's not going to go at Jay because Jay like <coughs> pardon, I mean, she's I'm surprised the, she mentioned his name. Yeah, she's in the the Jay Z. You know, she's whole <coughs> like it's pretty. Yeah, because he yeah you know because she bigged up him for the stuff about Black Lives Matter. Like him and Jay Z, like putting money towards that and bailing people out of jail, and they didn't want to be recognized for that. But Dream said that they did it. 
I do remember that. Oh, she's the uh, one who leaked that out. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that was her. So well, she's she wrote not... a book about Jay-Z, right? <clears throat> I don't know. I'm pretty sure I remember I, her writing. I, I, I think she was the one involved in that, yeah. But yeah. yeah, but so she has a certain relationship with him. And plus, the only reason she went at Quest was because Quest was trying to say something else. Yeah. Uh, and probably that probably hurt her that Quest would go through and you know take the time to say that, you know? Yeah. Even even instead of coming up with a good reason. You know, well, I guess it says he didn't have a good reason for not appearing in the documentary. Yeah. And then there were a lot of people who went on Twitter or social media in general and just, you know, like, we're still trying to defend our candy. Like, Ebro Darden is in the documentary. Mm-hmm. What did he say? I didn't know he was being like, a turkey. He's, he's in it in, in number six, basically saying, you know, how about like, they, they use clips from um, Hot 97 show. Ebro in the okay. morning talking about R. Kelly needs to be indicted again. But he was on Twitter talking about how he can still separate the artist from the art. Yeah. Well, well wait. Um, you know what? That's a slippery slope, dog. And it's like, in, in a ways, you got to do it. But then it also has to be a, a limit. You know what I you mean? You got to be like, a limit. It has to be it a It has limit. to be a limit. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, look, we go down the list. I mean, we know all this knowledge about Mad of Legends now. Yeah, like, and that's the other thing is like, I'm trying to get myself to a place where maybe I need to start purging my own like stuff too, because like a lot of people, like older people, like we talked about in on the show, like Jackie Wilson and David Ruffin mm-hmm. are two keys. James Brown, these are three key James examples. Brown. People mm-hmm. who we grew up with Gaye. that Marvin Gaye, we that we obviously as kids and sort of kind of in general, people didn't know, but as we got older and they started doing more journalistic work with these people. You find out James Brown seriously abused people. Jackie Wilson seriously, seriously abused people. David Ruffin mm-hmm. abused people and his own kid. Uh, who might hear this? That's scary. Um, and uh, what's the other one I said? Uh, Marvin Gaye, um, uh, Janice was six, was 17 when they mm-hmm. got together. Yep. You know. But you know, one thing this whole thing showed me, like even what I... You know, because I do think a lot of people involved in it, I kind of feel like it's kind of trauma. It's almost like it gave me the same feeling like like Precious gave me. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It's something, something, it's something real. I I think uh I think Kareem says sleazy. I can um I can see why he I, I kind of feel like it's slightly, it's a little sleazy. You know what I'm saying? So like, like, the, like the documentary itself? Yeah, the documentary itself, yeah. I don't, I don't. And that's, well, that's what the importance of the documentary and, you know, aspects of social media are, is that uh, people are able to bury their heads in the sand prior yeah. to seeing this, that, uh, you know, one of the reasons I didn't watch the documentary is we have been hearing about this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for me, I said, you know, I work in this field. I see these stories every right. day. What, what, what are, what new are they going to tell me? Uh, but for others, um, you can ignore kind of sexual violence in some aspects. Yes, you know a lot of people who are victims, mm-hmm. uh, but you're not talking about it at the dinner table every day. Right. You're not having these conversations. And you said, uh, what you, you said one in four, right? One in four women, one in one eight, eight in men uh, in the United States. And that's underestimates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, everybody around you who you know, you, you know, a lot of people you know are affected by this. So, you know, the documentary is great in kind of really bringing this to the forefront that... Mm-hmm. If it's in our face, we can't ignore it. Right. Um, So we do need we do need more aspects of that in our media um, because if if we don't hear these victims' voices, they're just going to continue being unheard and not supported. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this whole thing, really, man, it's kind of just an exercise in 
how little how little people really care about you know black girls. Sadly, yeah, it is. You know right. what I'm saying? Because like you said earlier, like this one even got five years in. We 25, almost 30 years in now. And nobody can, you know, nobody is, uh, no charge has been pressed, really. And I like, you know, and Jameson, I liked your remark, what's next? You know, yeah. I, I'm not even just looking for um, charges and him going to jail because, yeah. I, you know, I'm pessimistic about that. But what's next in terms of the conversation? You know, one of the things we're starting to do in our field is bystander intervention. Mm. There's probably hundreds of people who knew about this and oh, nobody yeah. intervened. Um, so what are ways in which we can kind of step up and start talking about this and start getting these people caught early on so we're not creating hundreds of victims for some of these perpetrators? Mm. Yeah, because I mean, it's definitely something that's in, you know, it's, it's around the community. I mean, I can remember growing up, you know, in some neighborhoods, you know what I mean? It was always some older cat just had a, a, a girlfriend. I was just looking a little too young. You know what I'm saying? You a kid, you kind of just thinking like, well, that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. You hear the grown people talking about it, you know what I'm saying? But then it's like, you know, why didn't nobody, you know? But then stuff happened to him. You got that. that or I think, uh, or I, think <laughs> I think a lot of us even live in major cities, and sex trafficking in major cities is big. Oh, yeah. you know, when you have sports arenas, when you have these mm-hmm. major hotels, oh, yeah. uh, just That's... the prevalence goes up so much. And so, what are people witnessing? Are you know, were these hotel managers reporting that exactly. this grown man was walking yeah. in with teenage girls? No. And so thinking about kind of interventions like that, to uh, and, and some states are doing it, that we need to train our hotel employees, we need to train our, uh, you know, truck drivers truck on drivers, how to detect, yeah. yeah, human trafficking, because people are witnessing this. Mm-hmm. Um, see, the problem and, is and a lot of them cats are involved in it. There's huh. some cats be involved in it, like as far as the, uh, oh, absolutely. the truck drivers, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, there's... The, the stigma is, you know, you go to a truck stop and, you know, get, pay, you know, get a get somebody a sex worker or something. So yeah, but we gotta remember most aren't, and so making sure we're empowering the ones who are, you know, casually, you know, witnessing some of these things happen, but are afraid to report for whatever reason too. Yeah, that'd be a good. I think that'd probably be a real, real good start. Because um, yeah, that's that's crazy. But yeah, like you said, it's probably hundreds, hundreds of people that was aware of the R. Kelly thing. I mean, we know about it. You know, right. so that means everybody around him knew about it. So, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, or singer JoJo, she's like, I was hearing this at age, what, 10 or 12. Yeah. You know, these stories and being in the studio near them, um, it, it's, it's a lot. And, you know, and one of my last points is I hope kind of future directions that this isn't just R. Kelly, that there's others yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, doing this. And so, uh, you know, I hope that this highlights that, you know, the need to start talking about sexual violence and its occurrence in the community. The um, interest, the interesting part to come, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you, but, but just to chime in a little bit where, where you are with that, um, that was actually part of the controversy of these other celebrities not speaking out, is we thought, well, what do they have to hide? Why are they not talking? Um, but unfortunately, the fact that Dream Hampton was involved has caused some well, of this. Well, the thing is this: if something, you know, if something is to turn up with them people, hopefully somebody else who isn't their friend mm-hmm. might report on it one day. But I don't want to like say like I don't want to put the blame on Dream Hampton herself. Though I want to be clear about that. Well, that's I'm not saying the blame is on her, but there is 
some some conversation that okay, well, maybe these celebrities didn't want to get involved, you know, based on how she normally moves or how she handles things. Um, I, don't, I, well, I don't know. We we that it could be any number of things. Like Carol, that, Carolyn spoke on some of that. Yeah, it could mm-hmm. be that too. But like, so. I'm hoping that it was just you know them being like. Scared, but like, but if you being honest, like, how powerful is R. Kelly like in 2019? Like, is anybody really? I mean, it's it, it sounds like he is, and that's why uh-huh. I'm, I'm so concerned, you know. Uh, yeah. maybe like an entrenchment thing, maybe he got people in place like years ago and they're still loyal mm-hmm. to him. Yeah, that's, that's, that's highly possible. That is, you know, who knows what kind of emails or documents and oh, things yeah. like that yeah. out there, you know. He definitely knows where the bodies are buried, yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So, got yeah. that going on. But yeah, I mean, the music game is and it's, it's just a dirty, it's just a wicked industry, dog. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of wicked people involved in it. All right. So, we did, I did want to end the show by pivoting way different by saying rest in peace to Don Lusk. Don Lusk was the last living animator of the mm-hmm. like sort of quote unquote classic like 1930s, 40s era of Hollywood animation. He worked on Pinocchio and Bambi and stuff like that. He also went to Hanna-Barbera and was a director and stuff there as well. He was 105 years old when he passed on the day before New Year's Eve. Rest in peace. That's a hell of a life, man. Yeah, Yeah, 105, man. That means he saw... Man, 105, he might have saw the first plane. Nah, maybe. nah, he wouldn't have seen the first plane. He, he was born in 1915. 1913, 1913. My bad. 1913, wow. Yeah. The first plane would have been 10 years before him. Okay. 1903? Yep. 1913. Oh, 1903, wow. Yeah. Damn, oh. that's crazy. Yeah, so rest in peace but, to him. Yeah. But yeah, thank you, everybody, for being here today. Um, thank you, April, for joining us. Where can people find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Dr. April A. April spelled A-P-R-Y-L. Um, I actually uh, yesterday just went up a TED Talk I did on sexual violence and consent. Uh, oh, cool. So if you want to learn more there, uh, check that out. Uh, also, we mentioned the uh, sexual assault hotline, and that number is 1-800-656-HOPE, uh, just in case people need to touch base after this. Yeah, thank you so much. Greg, thank you for joining us as well. Where can people find you online? Um, I'm available at uh, Mixcloud, uh, at Mixcloud.com slash Treble Free, T-R-E-B-L-E-F-R-E-E. Okay. All right. And Ken, Jameson, and Ali, thanks for joining us um, as well. Uh, for those for this show, you can find us at SSNPodcast.com. <laughs> you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, TuneIn. And wherever else podcasts can be found, I actually had to go and fix a bunch of those like feeds the a couple of weeks ago. Some weird stuff happened, but everybody's feed should be working. If it isn't, please like um, you know, like hit us up on the Facebook page and let us know. You know, speaking of Facebook, we have a Facebook group for the Say Something Nice podcast group where we hang out and talk about stuff like um the topics we talked about today and others as well. You can find us on all social media as well under the handle at SSN Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Say Something Nice Podcast. I am Brandon, and I'm here with Ali, Jameson, 
You. Greg. Hello. April. Hi. And Ken. Oh, well. <laughs> and we'll see you guys <laughs> next time. <laughs>